Greetings, standard nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDabber.com. And Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! Hey there, pod people. Welcome to episode 30 of Robot Kraken, the April edition. This month, we appease the beast with talk of art technique, including digital and physical media, Logan, Legion, Iron Fist, and more. So buckle your seatbelts, because it's time to release the Kraken. Oh, and it should be noted that in the first part of this episode... I'm prepping to leave for Fanex, so the noises you hear in the background is not the sound of somebody butchering dead flesh and bodies. It's actually me wet-setting vinyl to switch plates and flasks. So the weird, squelchy, crinkly horror noises you hear in the background as we talk about Logan is not as terrible as it sounds, but I apologize all the same. Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. So if I think for this segment, Tom, we yes. should discuss the newest Huge Jackman movie. The newest Huge Jackman movie. Huge Jackman. The very, the very last ever. Yeah, yeah uh, it might be the last ever Huge do. Jackman movie, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, when Logan was coming out, I was talking to Lindsay and I saw this listing of, like, Hugh Jackman's 10 best roles. And I looked at it and like the first three were terrible. They were like, like Swordfish was about the only role that wasn't on there. And I'm like, has he just really done that few movies? And it is 17 years. Yeah. It's just crazy. He's just been Wolverine for so long that everything else he's done has just kind of been like, meh, (laughs) Or it's been something that could have been big and then ended up not being that great, like Australia, that kind of thing. But it's interesting because everybody has so much, like, affection for him. (laughs) Well, and and then you see all those wrap-ups that have come out about, uh, you know, look at him over 17 years of of playing this character and how much he's changed, how how different he looks and how he plays it differently now than he did before with confidence and stuff. And you look at those early, like original X-Men and he looks so young and, oh my gosh, and yeah. just sort of bug eyed or whatever. And, and he, and he talked in some interviews about how he really didn't know how to play the character for a while. Like he wasn't really sure where he was supposed to go with it until he had enough confidence to just kind of run with it and say, I think he needs to be this. And, and that's when it be, kind of became the Wolverine that people are, accust- are, are associating with him. Right. Um, but, uh, you, you know, honestly, he, yeah, he did some movies, but he was a theater guy, right? Before, uh, he really was a theater this guy off. a little bit. And then he became a theater guy, like once he started uh, doing a lot more of this kind of thing. And so it's funny, like, like, obviously I loved him in the prestige. He was great in that. Oh yes. And I have such fond memories of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I need to watch it again. Actually. I haven't seen it in forever. Me too. But there's, like, like if you look at his list, it's, it's all sorts of, like, weird things. He did some voiceover work, and, like, he did The Fountain, which I haven't seen. I don't Neither, know if it's yeah. good or not. But, uh, and, like, fucking Van Helsing, I think, kind of hurt him. <laughs> yeah. Was The Fountain by, um... Was The Fountain by, um... Uh... Oh, crap, what's his name? 
who did like American Beauty and stuff? No, it's it's Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. Oh, he did, did American like Beauty. Like Requiem That's for a Dream of. and Black yeah, Swan yeah. and The Wrestler, right. that kind of stuff. Right. So it was never going to be a crowd stuff. a crowd pleaser kind of. No, <laughs> <laughs> not so much really. Although I, I and it's weird that I haven't seen it because I love him and Rachel Weisz, but I have not. <laughs> I associate Darren Aronofsky with finding ways to take amazingly beautiful actresses and making them unappealing. Yes, making them feel just making you feel miserable watching how miserable they are. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's what we need in cinema, right? Yes, yeah. It it, it says something when. A, you, somebody says a director's name, and the only thing you think of is ass to ass. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, people ask us on the street, at the coffee shop, wherever, hey, guys, when are you going to record an episode about this project or that project? Right? It happens all yes. the time. Yes. It happens often. to you. It happens the to me. The opium den. They call the you alleys. in the middle of the night, knock on your window, <laughs> second floor. And, yes. uh, you know, we, we have not gotten to some uh, popular uh, nerd-based content this past year that people would have thought we would talk about just because of timing and circumstance or yeah. you talked about it on the other podcast or whatever. But um, of all the stuff that was coming out this year, we just talked about it on our last round with our, like, most anticipated stuff for 2017. You know, right. this was anticipated by a lot of people. Yeah. Even bef- even before all of these early reviews came in and said, well, it broke Rotten Tomatoes or, <laughs> you know, or like non-genre people dig this violent R-rated, you know, morose death Western. movie. <laughs> Western. Um, but I got a lot. I, I did get a few questions about whether we were going to talk about this. And uh, I have to say, um, watching the movie my brain was sort of like forked in half. Part of me was trying to remember all the things I wanted to tell you or talk to you about. And the other half was just sort of enjoying it for what it was. But right. um, I actually did not prepare for our, our conversation. I don't even have the, one, have, the page of, I don't have the page of notes. <laughs> but That so, is crazy talk, Tom. So I think we should probably kind of hit this from our from the usual sort of thing. We maybe talk about the the cast and the plot and, and what we liked and didn't like. But but I want to ask you, what was this movie about? Oh, it was about parenthood and getting old. No, thematics, man. <laughs> like what? For, for all of our listeners who don't understand the concept of the Logan movie, what is the Logan movie? The year is 2029. Donald Trump is still president. No, I'm just no oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, we've got Logan, who is... I'm assuming they're they're picking up from the original, like, historical... Logan's healing factor works the way it does because it's constantly fighting the adamantium and that if he gets something like cancer or something along those lines, the healing factor can't do it because it's always rebelling against the adamantium in his system. Mm. And so I'm assuming that's what he has in this is it's them playing that up a little bit because traditionally in the comics, Wolverine had a fast healing factor, but it wasn't, oh, I'm rising from the dead after being burnt to a skeleton strong. 
It was, right. oh, look at the bullets popping out after I've been shot. And their justification for that was that his healing factor is much stronger. It's just that it's constantly warring with the fact that there's adamantium in his body. Right. And then they tore his adamantium out. And his healing factor, like, he turned super bestial, and his healing factor got cranked to 11. And then, apparently, like, when they gave it back to him, they forgot about that. And so his healing factor's been super crazy for years now. Right. You're talking in the comic. In the comics, You're talking about in the comics, yes. Sorry, I'm going (laughs) comic-y. No, it's fine. But in this movie, though... Yes. I think it's an important thing to start with, is that it uh, Mangold finally had the mandate to build the film he wanted, continuity be damned. And he threw out a lot of stuff. Yes. This film is set in the Fox X-Men universe, but it ignores the vast majority of the stories that came before it. And in a very clever conceit, it implies that most of what we've seen over 17 years was comic books, right? Yes. Because from the basis of the of the script, he references he and Xavier reference the the going way back to the Statue of Liberty as being like the one time they were seen in public, and all of this mythology around them has stemmed from that. Right? He yeah, says that like it's, it's it happened once and not this way. way. Yeah. Right. But then they do talk about like Alkali Lake and that kind of thing too. Well, they do, but they don't directly. They don't. Well, they don't actually talk about alcohol. They say, well, okay, wait, let's see. They sort of do. It's a nod, but it's yeah. not a direct link, right? Right. They never say, like, Scott or anything right. like that necessarily. And we know, and we know we've seen now that by now that they had some deleted scenes talking about how he actually married Jean Grey and oh, there was really? other things that have happened. Oh, yeah. It was a, they didn't that. film it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. What I like about it is they distilled a, a Wolverine story to the kind of essence of of what it would be like if you could de- decouple him from the burden of comic style continuity, right? Yes. Like Wolverine as a concept in the modern era in comics has made very little sense, and I'm not even talking about him running the school. I'm talking about <laughs> you know over thirty or forty years of him running around with teenagers and doing all this other crazy stuff and running with various teams and being on the Avengers and all this other stuff. And then when you boil it right down to it, he's a killing machine fighting his own instincts, half animal obsessed with a, uh, a culture that is all about repressing your animal instincts, right? Mm -hmm. The whole, his whole Japanese thing. Um, but in the end, every time he's threatened, he's trying to resist the urge to disembowel something. Right. Right. And so they, they took this script as a, a way of decoupling him from all of that baggage and just putting him in, in his own element and then adding the mortality twist to it. I thought that was right. fascinating. Yeah. So good. Yeah, it was such a, a, a good way of making him and us evaluate who he is as a character and as a history with him. I, th- I just thought it was such a strong way of doing that. I loved it. I felt like I was more um, I felt like I was more capable of accepting this movie on its own terms than I think a lot of people who saw it um, who are genre fans, because I've said many times in my defense of things like the parts of the Fantastic Four movie, for example, that I accept multiple versions of a story and they don't have to be loyal to the comics or they don't have to be 
loyal to the traditions of a certain character, like mm-hmm. the Elseworlds kind of thing in comics or in movies where they they spring wildly away from the source material. I don't care. It's fine. It's yeah. the same reason why I can handle good and bad Terminator movies, right? Like it doesn't matter. Right. The bad one doesn't ruin the good one. It's why I'm not worried about the new Blade Runner. Like if it, if it tanks, it doesn't ruin Blade Runner for me, right? Right. So I was fully able to accept that the continuity didn't follow in this film from what had happened before because what even happened before never made sense. Right. But I didn't care. It's like just let it be what it is, right? Yeah, just just close your eyes and enjoy the ride. It's a comic book movie. <laughs> right. Um, and yet at the same time – well, and then again at the same time, half of what made it so successful was, you know, again, it's it was a comic mo- – it was a comic book movie that wasn't a comic movie, Right. 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 This this whole this whole thing of him, you know, this is not post-apocalyptic, but this post. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was a little post- post-apocalyptic. I mean, it definitely had a little bit of that vibe. I mean, there was a big neon. What where was that that casino that they stopped in? It was like Oklahoma or somewhere like that, wasn't it? Right. Well, yeah, there was Vegas <laughs> and then there was Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I it definitely know. had a kind of a. A post-apocalypse, but not like a apocalypse-apocalypse kind of thing. It's definitely kind of a futuristic world that he's living in. Like that that crazy well, limo he drives is great. <laughs> yeah, it was some of the best near-future design work I've seen in a movie because they resisted the urge to make everything futuristic in only yeah. a decade, only a decade forward. Right. Like we we've lived through decades of movies where it went five or ten years in the future and everyone's jetpacks and eating pills and right so- yeah. cyber eyes instead all of these were intelligently forwardized when they did it. And it in a way that suggests that some some industry and some design and some commerce move forward but the rest stagnated which is a very realistic future projection on the way our our western culture is eating itself alive right yeah absolutely. so yeah that that was a that was a believable. It didn't look like a lip, like a Lincoln that had some 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 plastic on it to make it look futuristic. It looked like a. It was believable as a t- 2030 car. Yeah, it absolutely um, was. I love the design on it. It was so cool. And it kind of reminded me of. Uh, do you remember that that uh, that that high water mark in uh, auteur filmmaking, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? <laughs> I can honestly say I have not seen that since I was a young, young person, but I, I am well, that, aware of its existence. <laughs> well, they did the same thing. They they implied it was the future by saying right. that Burbank, Burbank became an international airport and then John Wayne Airport. And then they had a couple of like, you know, they had some mysterious bulletproof dusters that protected the face somehow. And everyone w- ran around with uh, cigar rifles and all that stuff. And then they said, it's the future, but everything else looked like a junkyard. <laughs> right. Uh, th- this was that same thing, but done much more deliberately, I think, and, and, and successfully. So yeah. it was believable. It was believable that you would have this, this bombed out uh, Tijuana environment. And then he's, he's driving this, this, this sweet ass limo that he really doesn't want to damage because it's a lease and he's trying to save money. You know, <laughs> right. it was believable construct. <laughs> it was really great. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was just such a like the movie was so interesting to me. Like it didn't go the direction I thought it was going to with who he was as a character and that kind of thing. 
Yeah. I I did not expect it to start out with him as a depressed, grumpy limo driver just over the border kind of thing. <laughs> well, the only reason I, yeah, the only reason I I was prepared for that was that they produced a viral on YouTube about a week before the film launched, and it was him, uh, boot drinking, driving the limo, crying, whatever, with right. um. With like uh, you know debutantes in the back and drunk bros and stuff, and him sort of watery eyed, pounding his flask while driving and obviously miserable. Right. And there was even a lot when that came out. People were like, "What is what? What the hell was that?" Right. And sure enough, that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, it was not what I expected. Even after seeing that, I was like, "This is kind of weirdly out of place." But maybe this movie's going a different direction than I expected, and they did. <laughs> I like this for the same reason that I like Nolan's Batman trilogy. And that is mm-hmm. that this guy that we, that in culture, nerd culture anyway, is God level Mary Sue, right? Right. Can do everything, is right about everything, is super rad, you know, <laughs> and put him in an environment where he's vulnerable and not in control of what's happening. I love, it was so. I mean, it's it is a western slash road movie, but at the same time, oh, yeah. it has a good. It owes a lot to the desperate heist movies and crime movies that I love because he's got that tension, that money tension of mm-hmm. vulnerability. Like I can't. I'm trying to save up so I can Carlitos way my way out of here <laughs> by the right. boat. And oh my god, you just you 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 busted up the limo. I'm pissed because now all my savings are being, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. Yeah. It's got like a, a, a like a noir heist kick to it, which very noir for being loved. Oh yeah. And you know, the Wolverine of 10 years ago or even five years ago in the movies was not one that would be, you know, practically in tears over the fact that he's, you know, going to and from the, you know, crossing the border to deliver medicine to his, to his senile former mentor. I mean, it was so realistic. It hurt. I loved it. Yeah. And it's a movie that even had they made some good Wolverine movies previous to this, it couldn't have been made any earlier than it was made now. Realistically. Oh yeah. And, uh, I love that as a concept, I mean, you know, looking back over how they've made Wolverine in, in the, in the movies, he was a guy that begrudgingly, fell in with the X-Men. He didn't want to be responsible for anybody. He didn't want anybody tagging along and 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 being and idolizing him or following him. He didn't want the responsibility of, of the Institute and all that stuff. And here he is now taking care of his former mentor who pulled him into a civilized world and saved him. Right. And now he's dragging this guy around um, and it's the most thankless thing. And as, as someone who recently lost a parent who had major mental issues and decline in his last years, I really related to that because no matter what tensions you had, you know, whatever tensions I might've had when I was younger about, about, you know, my role in my family and my identity as an independent person and in whatever versus my parents at the end of the day, my father was very old and was losing his faculties then passed away. And there's no way around the fact that the, that the that the human condition is is very cruelly fair in yeah. that way. Yeah, it is what it is. And to see even a super superhero dealing with these issues was incredibly mature to me. 
It I was. It was. It was strikingly strong. Like I, I had high hopes for this movie going into it because I loved the remake of Three Ten to Yuma that Mangold did. Uh. I think it was just. I mean, that was a really well done western movie. And at its heart, I've always felt that Wolverine had a lot of western qualities to him. Yeah. And so there was just a part of me that was just like, please let this be a Western, please let this be a Western. But I did not expect it to be such an introspective evaluation of the human condition mixed with a futuristic Western. <laughs> it was just, it just exceeded all of my expectations for what this movie could have been and became something a lot more touching and emotionally draining, honestly. And nostalgic in a way, right? Like yeah, nostalgic yeah. for the the simplicity of an era in superhero movies where they couldn't spend enough money and there was hardly any expectation that they would be good. Yes. And now here's a movie that was made on the cheap and is very stripped down. It's almost a play and is very real. Yeah. And honestly, like not even just superhero movies, it's it like makes me nostalgic for this type of movie anywhere. Like there's just, there's so few like this out here these days. It's funny that you said that it was that um, he's been a Westerner. He's a Western because, you know, they've always made great, taken great pains to dress him in jeans and uh, a plaid shirt and a cowboy hat and put a cigar or a weed in his mouth, depending on who's drawing him, and, right. co- and c- cowboy boots and all of this affectation. Mm-hmm. But, but, but that's just that's just dressing. That's appearance. Right. He's. It, it, I don't think you would have described Logan's character, particularly in the comics, as being a cowboy or a Western character. However, I don't know, though, because he is—I mean, he's always been that guy that s- speaks softly and kind of protects the little guy, but does so begrudgingly. Well, the Shane stuff obviously yeah. was a very clear link. It was a—it was inspiration and directly used in the film. But I mean, right. though, Western implies a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw him as a nomad or yeah. in the case of when he became obsessed with the J- Japanese stuff, it's like a Ronin, right? Like a masterless noble warrior being left alone, but begrudgingly has to do the right thing. See, but I, which I, is only, I've always yeah. seen a lot of those films as very Western-y as well. They're just East Western. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's certainly a lot of trade off. I mean, it, there's a there's a very strong relationship right between yeah. westerns in Hollywood cinema and and uh, you know feudal Japanese stories in Japanese cinema. So that's yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So what about the rest of this cast? Because obviously we saw him in old haggard makeup. Ninety nine percent of this man. film. I cannot believe. And I believe like, like I had to like look it up afterwards and be like, he, please tell me he doesn't actually look this rough now because it was legit looking. Like, he looked like he was a solid 10 years older than he looks right now. It was amazing, and it was so it was so plausible yeah. that, and, and we haven't even said spoilers, spoilers, but right. it was so plausible that when, when you see another version of him later in the film, your first thought is, well, that's fake. Like, that's, right. a, that's, that's, a, that's a CGI young person, <laughs> and to some degree it was because they tightened it up to make him young, but the... Yeah. But, but that was actually him too. Yeah, yeah. And the whole movie was him with. with I mean, they added a bunch of stuff over on top of his beard. You know, all those veins and all the the lines in his face and right and the sort of general griminess that he had. 
um, fascinating. And then how about how much of that was not even him at all? Like all him driving the limo and all of that the, blows me the, away. Like I would never have guessed that had you not linked to the article showing that because it was just so well done. Like I never once yeah. got that uncanny valley from those scenes. No, not at all. It was perfect. It was everything that I wanted Leia to be and wasn't. Yeah, they right. did it in in fast cuts. You know, fat, fast cuts full of action and 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 they did it for a very specific reason, which was let the stunt person do the stunt work as they right. always have. You know, but in this case, you don't notice that it's hey, that guy's not quite. That's not Schwarzenegger, you know. Yeah, like the whole like time Leia just, was on the screen, I was wanting her to be driving a limousine, but precisely. <laughs> All right. So what else? So um, what's her name? Uh, oh, yes. Daphne Keene. So that's the big standout that everyone's talking about in this movie. X-23. Laura, Laura, Laura Kinney. What did you think about her? I thought she was really interesting. I, I liked her. I, I think she, I think she was just the right level of understated. Particularly for a kid actor, I, it took me a while to uh, warm up to her. To be honest with you, I wanted, I wanted this actress to be a very, I wanted it to be a dark brunette with very bright eyes, because of of, um, is his name Josh? What's the what's the artist's name that basically Hiddleston. put X twenty three map hiddleston yeah um a lot of his painted work i think it's hiddleston anyway but yeah hiddleston, you're right yeah it was blending with tom tom uh tom hiddleston tom, tom hiddleston yeah tom, yeah I don't, <laughs> okay so anyway I, I always saw her as this not asian but definitely um very dark brunette with a right. very wild eye and so her brown brownish hair and and sort of different wider face and being younger than I was expecting her to be, mm-hmm. it took me a while to adapt to that. Right. But but she immediately sells it, right? <laughs> it doesn't oh, yeah. take long. Yeah, like the the logic they use in why she looks the way she does, where she's a kind of just a feral little stray dog with just a – she's got that Hispanic kick to her. And yep. I think – I mean it was the perfect way – to incorporate X-23, X-23, is that her name? (laughs) (laughs) Into the world of Logan. I think if they'd gone any cuter or more appealing or older, I don't think it would have had the same effect on it. Well, you know, I I was thinking about it driving home at 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, (laughs) because I saw a very late showing (laughs) of this, um, in the pouring rain, like, like going 20 miles an hour on the freeway because the visibility was so bad. But I was thinking a lot of my mental construct about her is everything wrong with comics today, right? right. It's the Psylocke thing. Because yeah. going back to those Hiddleston covers, she's always been in a in a bloodied schoolgirl. Co- you know, it's stealing from uh, Battle Royale, right? Right. Like she's a, you know... Uh, sort of demure schoolgirl with claws sticking out of her hands and and bloody fists and being completely violent. So there's sex, blend and innocence blended together, right. which is a trope. Always, always has a so little bit ways. of a Lolita thing going on. It's it's a death Lolita, totally. Yeah, and there are so many iterations of that in film now. Right. That the fact that they kept 
all relation. I mean, the, all of the relationships in this movie were familiar relationships, mm-hmm. and she was never sexualized at all. It was something no. that I grew to. As I drove away, I was appreciating it more and more as I thought about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like as soon as she showed up in the trailers, I was like, "Oh God, please don't let this be like." The kind of squicky scenes from the professional, totally, or, <laughs> or uh, kick ass, that kind of thing. I I really wanted a character that was legitimately like, like Logan adopting a feral cat is basically what. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the the cutesy little kid thing. It wasn't the over sexualized little kid thing. It was just pure animal instinct and a need for help, basically. The professional or Leon is so French it kills me. Even seeing it for the first, I remember seeing it in the theater the first time and thinking to myself, "She's way too alluring at that age. This is yes. not right." And I was in college, so it's not like I was so far, amazingly far off in age, right? I was. I mean, it's not right, but you know what I'm saying. I was looking at that, thinking, "Okay, that character that she's with is like wordy, and a lot of people watching this are going to be full on adults." And yeah, the the Lolita thing going on is very disturbing. It is. And it's, it's, it was disturbing because it was so, it worked. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was uh, French films, particularly from that era, kind of have that ability to do it in a way that's kind of dirty feeling, but also feels innocent. And I like the, the professional is a great movie, but Rewatching it now instead of as a 16 year old when I first watched it or whatever, it it yes. feels so different from somebody approaching 40 than it did somebody approaching 20. <laughs> You're totally right. You're <laughs> totally right. It, it's a product of its time. Mm-hmm. No one was complaining about how mesmerizing Natalie Portman was in her debut. Right. Um, and yes, we at West maybe maybe uh, non French Western audiences might have said, well. Her like her little attempt at you know coming on to him was a little yeah, creepy. Yeah, scene was kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> then again, then again, French cinema gets away with a lot. But yes. reality is, girls who are ten to twelve hit puberty, and it was right. actually quite conceivable, especially given her trauma, that she right. was using the tool the tools that she had. And we're just so prude as a culture to be like, oh, I can't believe they showed that, right? Right. It was an American but, instinct. Yeah. <laughs> But but then it spun off into lots of shows, lots of movies after that that right. were just straight up soft porn. So yeah, right. I, I don't know. It was yeah, a there was of definitely time, one sure. of those things where people were like, "I need to ape this," but not understanding what about it made it a powerful scene instead of a creepy, uncomfortable scene. <laughs> right, right. Well, okay. So anyway, I, one of the things that I appreciated about the character once I allowed it to sink in was that she was uh, half Hispanic, half Mexican, mm-hmm. actually, yes. and and was birthed and raised in a Spanish-speaking environment. So yeah. I saw her as a white girl the first, the first act, mm-hmm. and I started to see her as a hybrid, a mixed-ethnicity person, um, because she was not even talking. And then all of a sudden she was speaking in Spanish, and then eventually she spoke in some English. She was um, so fiery when she was speaking in Spanish. I could not believe it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was very successful. And I really started to appreciate it from there. Um, I have a lot of 
complaints about some of the logic in this film, which we'll talk about in in a little bit, and I'm totally okay with it. It's fine <laughs> that it was wrong, but yeah, right. it did nothing about her made sense. But in the context of her being a mechanism for telling the story, it was fine. Yeah, so what the, about the um, MacGuffins in it were just shoehorned in to tell a story, basically. But <laughs> yeah, right. So what about um, so of course uh, Patrick Stewart. I, I think he gave up. He might have given the performance of his career in this, right? Oh, he was phenomenal, and once again, aged to the point of disbelief. But yet, on the other hand, I think he is taking advantage of all of the spas and treatments and trainers and all the things that the ultra-rich celebrity can have right. to look a lot younger than he really is, too. Like I think. Right. His body, and I'm not talking about stepping out in makeup, but, but so much as, you know, I think he spends a lot of time, I think he's in really good shape and he looks really good for his age, I guess. Mm, absolutely. Normal, he, normal. Looks, he looks a solid seven to eight years younger than he should look for his age, without question. With his 30-year-old wife. Right. Which or I'm beard. Sure we don't know. Young. Could be a beard. Yeah. <laughs> or could be a beard. We don't know. It's hard it to say. Be. And well, and this was the first film he's ever intentionally lost weight for. He dropped fifteen oh, pounds for the role because he knew he was going to be carried around by Logan, and he didn't want it to have to be something where he wanted to f- it to look like he was wasted away in light, like somebody in a wheelchair for ninety years would look. Well, for forty years or whatever. But um, so he lost 15 pounds for the role, and he said it was the only time he's ever lost weight for a role. <laughs> you, you know, going, I mean, I have to keep calling back to my recent experience, but uh, watching my father over the last few years, I mean, there was actually a period uh, where he, he aged 10 years in the span mm-hmm. of about a year, right? Yeah. He had, a, yeah. He had a, a medical problem. He recovered badly from the surgery, and he never he never bounced back from it, and he immediately descended into a level of uh, poor health and just sort of failing away or wasting away that you hadn't seen before for him. And so, especially in the last few years, the, the, the look of the skin and the look of the eyes and, and the hands and everything, it was very realistic what they did with Patrick Stewart, the spot, the spots on his skin, the splotches of color, the weird wisps of hair on the side, which Mm -hmm. I love is a, throwing it in the face of the uh, apocalypse movie, you know, right. The sheer force of his psychic energies requires him to be bold. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was absolutely amazing. And, and they, I think that it was, it was a fairly subtle performance for Alzheimer's or, um, you know, senility or mental decline because they always play that so broadly in, yes. in movies, right? Yeah, they, they play, really they play the 11 o'clock hour, Alzheimer's, right? Who are right. you? You know, and and all of my experience with my father was much more like what we saw in this, which was mm-hmm. it's the guy, it's the same guy, but then some of the stuff doesn't add up. Right, right. right. Or they, his, they know you, but or, they don't know you chronologically, or yeah. they don't quite know why they should know you. And yeah, like all of this, like really struck home for me because of my grandfather. He had Alzheimer's right. and wasted away, and like you said, like within weeks of it really taking hold you could see him age years and i think the way they handled his alzheimer's and coupled with his like reluctance to be subdued with the pills and that kind of thing was just so well done well um, and also the um the 
it's the lack of control over emotion mm-hmm. that I related to, right? Like yeah. I saw that in my father a lot, the panic and fear and anger and frustration even angry when angry and not, not knowing why they're angry and angry that they uh-huh. don't know why they're angry and right and i think that that stuff's very um that that hit home and i thought that he i thought he played that very well you, yeah. it was very believable that this was a guy whose entire adult life he was this you know I mean, not just setting aside the fact that he had he was a he was a, a, a mental giant, intelligent and and a super psychic and all that other stuff. But here's a guy who was totally in control, even though the trope of him being disabled was an obvious thing. Right. He, he still was in control of his environment. He was very wise. He was a leader. He was a mentor. And here he is just sort of like, you know, there are four lights. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> well, and, and not only was he like always in charge of himself, but he always knew what everyone else was thinking too. And so he was always the smartest man in the world right. and, or in the room anyway. And yeah, I think having a character like that suddenly devolve and lose his control, but know he's losing control, but doesn't know exactly how he's losing control. I just think I, I can't think of another actor that could have pulled it off as expertly as he did. He did an amazing job. Um, also, what about uh, what's his name? Bo- Boyd Holbrook, is that right? Yeah, I was. He was kind of a wild card for me going in. I didn't know how I felt about him, but he was interesting. He, so, he, I mean, there were there was a fan base on him, or there's a fan a fan base that knew him from other projects, but I had never. I don't think I had ever seen him before this film. I don't know that I have either. I haven't really looked him up to be honest, but. He looked just familiar enough that I might have seen him in something. What is he known for other than this? Uh, let me... Omom Shabo. Yes. Oh, yeah. I... He's been in all sorts of stuff I had no interest in, like... He's <laughs> in Narcos, which I want to see. I've heard it's really excellent, but it's a lot of subtitles, and 90% of what I do, I'm not watching the screen. So I have been avoiding narcos until i can sit down and actually ingest it yes um and then he's in like weird stuff like i guess i've seen him in jane got a gun with natalie portman speaking of her but i don't remember him from it at all which i haven't seen that movie it's really good actually it's it i it's got a great cast it's it's good seeing ewan mcgregor with a big sinister bad guy cowboy mustache (laughs) <laughs> you know, I like that guy. Yeah. Well, so that was sort of um, that had some box office poison because the uh, director walked away, right? Right. Yeah, there was all sorts of scuttlebutt about the the making of it, but I I try to go into a movie not thinking about that well, unless sure. it, it makes me enjoy it more because it's such a train wreck. <laughs> like Fantastic Four. Yeah. I don't know if I enjoyed that more per se, but <laughs> so I really, really, really liked Holbrook in this role. Yeah, he was good. Uh, partially because I hate Donald Pierce, I hate the Reavers, I yes, hate you do. everything. That whole era of X Men stuff bores the hell out of me. And while some part of me was sort of hoping there'd be a guy with tank tread body just to see him get knocked over. Oh, wouldn't that be um, mad? <laughs> uh, the, the actual character of Donald Pierce was always miserable. And I knew that they would have made him interesting, especially 
this not being a McG X Men movie, but rather or a Singer X Men movie, but rather something more, you know, more tangible. But um, he played such a great, almost masterclass level uh, enforcer that was like trash that now mm-hmm. has power. Yeah. But what I liked about it was he wasn't drawn with that that really obvious trope of being like defensive about his trashy upbringing or being insecure about whether people are were were taking him seriously that you would see in that kind of character. Well, and I this think guy was like legitimately extent, like he was badass. Think, yeah, he really was. He was like, and I I do think that part of that is just he seemed to fit into that world that they created for this movie so perfectly. Absolutely. Like, like they, they give the future of 2029 or whatever, a little bit of a white trash aspect. that has got some Vegas in it. And, right. but it's got like, like a weird hillbilly Western Vegas thing. And he fits so perfectly in that. It's just crazy to me how good he fit that role. Well, you know, I, from from our previous discussions, I was working my way through the show Peaky Blinders on Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Which I've subsequently finished. And he was a great... That was a great parallel to looking at this character in Logan. Because in Peaky Blinders, you're looking at a, a, a street-level gang, mm-hmm. post-World War One that slowly, Scarface-style, you know, work their way up and... You know, by the third season, they own Birmingham and and they're actually running London's underworld, and and yet they can never and they can never get away from the fact that they're still uneducated, real like like street thugs. They just have nicer and nicer clothes and bigger houses, but they're still thugs, which has been a you know that's a trope that we've seen in in various types of gangster movies, right? Right. He he played this world's version of that very very well. That he was a hillbilly. He was like a border town hillbilly guy. Oh, hillbilly is the right word, but he was like a border town. He was a du- he was like a dust bowl guy that had power and weaponry and mm-hmm. complete fearlessness over consequence. Like, right. It, 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 I love the way he and and by extension his guys would roll up, and there wasn't a question in his mind whether police would show up or someone would call the cops or you know. I gotta, I gotta do this the easy way or the hard way, and I'd rather not draw attention to what I'm doing. No, the world was his fucking ashtray. Right. Right. Yeah, which was just such a perfect way to to show him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he, he was very got, convincing. Yeah, and if they'd had even a single scene where he's like, "Call ahead to the cop, tell him we're coming in, and do not bother us," it would have weakened him. And they, I think they, they played with his character in just such a perfect way for him being this cocky guy that you should genuinely be afraid of because there's no consequences for his actions for the most part. Exactly. It felt like this was a guy that was only going through the effort that he did to talk or to, you know, like be that sort of faux nice guy at first. Like, okay, here's what's going to happen now. Thank right. He was only doing it because it amused, it amused him to do that. Right. right. He he liked people to be under his control and a little nervous and put off by him. And yeah, I I was shocked by how much I liked him in this. You know what it reminded me of? And I remember thinking this at the time I was watching it is that um, Quentin Tarantino, a lot of his characters are sadistic and play with their food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they toy with their prey and, and it's this real sadistic thing, but it's an artifice of the narrative. It's, 
you're never not aware of the fact that you're watching Tarantino's words through this character and it's a stylized thing. Right. He felt, but Boyd Holbrook's character felt like those kinds of affectations, but legit. <laughs> like this was a guy who really did play with his food. Yeah. And it yeah, wasn't absolutely. because someone gave him a, a, you know, like a witty script to do it in. He just was <laughs> like, you know, there was no, there was no reason not to freak the hell out of people by being all like faux, faux pleasant at first. You know, he was doing yeah. it because that was, that was his thing. I don't know. Yeah, I thought everyone that was really in this just inhabited the world that they lived in in such a natural way. It was just crazy to me. One of my favorite features about his design, I thought he, I thought he was a very successful cybernetically enhanced character. His, his hand looked really good. There were things he did with it. Like there was something where he ran the, the articulation of the hand like the the fingers went they it, like it opened and closed or something in such a way that was very alien to the way a hand would normally work. I don't remember exactly what he did, but it, he did it, something. It with bent it. backwards at one point when he was fixing it. The, right. the fingers actually bent back towards the back of his palm or That's back what of it his was. hand, yeah. and it was just really trippy looking because it just felt so alien and strange to see it do that. I thought he was a really great cyberpunk character, and that yeah. was the. Him, not his. His gang was sort of generic, but his. Yeah, unfortunately, his design was straight up cyberpunk the right way, and I really enjoyed it. But my favorite detail of this entire thing was that he had visible metal in his mouth. That he had yeah. because that has always, to me, been you know, even though it's actually an expensive thing to do compared to like composites and other things, amalgamations. Mm-hmm. It, it's always been like that's the that's the low budget solution to dental work right like right. i loved that he had all the he had this like cyber hand and he was mr badass and he had all these these pecs and yet he had this like these gold crowns that you can see yeah. and i don't know if they were the act i don't think they were the actors either i think it was no, like i don't think so know. yeah so anyway i i thought he was great i wanted him to be on screen more than he was even yeah i was impressed i he was just such a perfect like white trash enforcer <laughs> yeah so I, I liked him a lot. And then finally, um, we should talk a little bit about uh, – right, let me go back to Imdibo. What's his name again? Stephen Merchant. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. Because he's right, amazing. Right. We talk if about we him. don't mention him, we would be remiss. <laughs> uh, you're entirely correct. And in fact, he uh, – I wanted him to be on screen as well a lot more. I did too. He, like I, I kept being like, oh, I want more of him. <laughs> He's uh, he has been such an interesting guy, playing the background character and then co-writer for all of that stuff. Yeah, and yet, and then only ever so slightly coming into the foreground. But he has a really interesting sensibility, even as a comedian. He does. But uh, but yeah, his Caliban absolutely blew me away. I loved yeah. it. He was so believable and he was so acerbic. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's like the the only time I've ever loved that character. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just I love the the real subtle distension of his eyes and the the fear of the sun. I just oh I I love that character. I think that he did such a great job with it. There was this subtle transparency to his skin that was super creepy looking. He was awesome. Uh, it owed a lot to uh, what I like that they've done with Cassidy in the Preacher series. Oh really? Nice. Season two coming soon. Dude, I still haven't seen uh, anything, but uh, episode one is the furthest I've gotten into that. I need to catch up. 
Well, Cassidy is running around in, in it, you know, because it's, of course, Texas, right? right? Same deal. And he's running around with, like, sun hats and, you know, like, bonnets nice. and stuff on it. That's Goes awesome. and meets the walks out to meet the cops when they show up and he's wearing like a giant sun hat <laughs> like what the heck man <laughs> well the one i wanted to mention you're right and he and he was great and i even wanted more of him than we got but the one i wanted to mention which i thought was somewhat controversial was the way richard e grant was used yeah he was a little minimal for me he you know they painted it all the mystery about his character and you're thinking oh he's going to be mr sinister or he's going to be this or this and in the end he was just a, he was just a, a Weapon X scientist. Yeah, yeah, he was just the and, son of a Weapon X scientist. I mean, <laughs> well, and then this dips a little bit into the into some of my criticisms, uh, which again we can talk about later. But you know, I don't think that his, you know, his his or his background as far as the the sort of the legacy virus equivalent, you know, the sort of mm. like curing curing the world of mutants through through. Uh, food supplements and all that it, like it was really ham-fisted what they did because it, it didn't was. even matter it didn't no, even it, matter it was on i mean i i appreciate that they put a background behind like those massive cornfields and that kind of thing but it was unnecessary but what i want to say was the what i appreciated about it and what i really liked about it was they did not they did not make a forced um you know we're, we're, we're at a time in these in these stories where um Everybody is, he's actually my brother. Or, right. you know, I, you know, I accidentally killed his wife back in 1912. You know, there's nothing about that, about this guy. And I love that he was very, it was very, um, it was very apparent in their dialogue. I loved how he said, he's like, did I kill your father? Probably. You know, like, yeah. He was not being. He was not hunting Logan based on revenge. He wasn't. He wasn't harboring this 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 insecurity or this frustration or this rage about his past. And there wasn't this big blood feud between him. Oh, he was just hunting the guy down. Right. Like I love. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. He was like, yeah, you probably did. And you know, yeah, I was sort of involved. And yeah, then I mean, you know, he just and then literally he gets looked the, at him as shot. a lab rat. He wasn't a person that he was tracking down. It was literally just part of his job as an escaped test animal. <laughs> Actually, the fact that you called him lab rat is exactly what I was thinking when I was watching him having that discussion with him. Is that he he had condescension in his mm -hmm. voice, like he was yeah, willing he was... to talk about this, but he didn't really care. Yeah, the mutants he were less did... than human to him, and he just didn't give a crap about them. I, yeah, it was that was great, and I love that he was dispatched so off, you know, as an aside, yeah. like he was tagged. There was no grand moment when he was taken out. I love in movies when that happens. Yeah, not everyone gets the grand gesture, right? It was, right, pow, he's out. <laughs> yeah, I just got done watching Kong today, and there's a few deaths yeah. like that that I'm just like, ah, I loved how casual it was. <laughs> the um. Obviously, the big uh, this is, is heavy into spoilers, but the big reveal yeah. uh, in the what, second and a half act was mm -hmm. that they had, you know, they, they pulled the truck out and popped the hatch, and out came a fully sort of in his prime functional X. Um, was he an X twenty four? X twenty four. So it was a called them, yeah, yeah. So he was a in his prime, super young Wolverine clone. That had no socialization associated with running around in the real world, acting like a human, being taken right. in by people and having family. He was just pure. It wasn't Animal that he was berserker instinct. rage. It's just he was just pure weapon. 
Yeah. Right. He was everything yeah. that he was always supposed to be. And um, part of me was disappointed because, well, you know, okay, great. It's, it was so underwhelming in a sense. It was like, oh, there's he's fighting himself. Right. But on the other hand, the more it went on, I started thinking to myself how brilliant it was that not so much that this was his, you know, thematically, this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. He's fighting his mortality. He's fighting getting older. He's fighting the legacy of his hurting people and being a killer. And now right. literally he's fighting it. Right. Like I got it. I got it. Yes. But, symbology. Yes. But, but, you know, but also I began to appreciate while I was still watching it, I started to think, my gosh, when is the last time that we saw any movie, any movie where something like this was kept from every trailer, every spoiler, right. everything. Because yeah. there was nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, I didn't and expect it to show up at all. Well, it was one of the things I liked about all of the, the marketing lead up to Logan. I was already seeing more than I wanted to, as usual. Right. But what they never did was show us a significant amount of what they were dealing with. It yeah, was always focusing on him and her. Basically. I mean, there, right. nothing was shown from any of that. And I loved that so much. I appreciated it. I I did think it was interesting, like, when he first showed up in the farmhouse there, I thought it was Lee Schreiber as Sabretooth. Yes, it, because the mutton chops were much more restrained. Right. And I, and, and I was thinking that, too, and then I went back and I looked at some screenshots that some people had posted and, and uh, Weekly Planet, you know... Uh, Mr. Sunny Movies had, had put together a thing. And, and I realized part of it is also that you go back and look at the early, all the younger Logan stuff. Mm-hmm. All of his Wolverines, when he was younger, had a very tight mutton chop yeah. and very short back, hair back there. So, it, so really, it was on model to what he was right. like when he was younger. But you're right. It does look like Leif Schubert when he first comes out. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God, did they bring Sabretooth into this? Which I would have been okay with because he was the only part of that movie I liked. But I was surprised. Well, and actually, and actually in the narrative, I would have thought it would be Sabretooth. Yeah. In the, yeah. the way that they've set him up, Sabretooth has always been the I've fully given in to this instinct and I'm – I love being a fucking killer. Right. That aspect of Sabretooth when he's when he's written well and when he's when he's presented well, he's been a great foil. Mm-hmm. Like you hate me because I'm everything you don't want to be. Yeah. That you're afraid that you are, right? Yeah, deep down inside um, you suspect this. Right, right. So that would have been okay. Um but yeah, I don't know. It would have um, made it a little too comic booky, I think, just because Sabretooth has featured in three of the movies now, and so right. I think I think they made a wise choice in not doing it. But I wouldn't have begrudged them if they had. I think, um, I, I, and and again, this sort of veers into some of my criticism, but I wanted this to be a story of. I wanted this to be one of those where. Faced with a younger, more powerful, fully full healing factor, no restraints version of himself, that old Logan would would persevere over young Logan through his experience. Like I, I wanted to see, to see him, that too. I agree. Yeah, I wanted to see him trick him 
out of experience. Like, for example, and this, it, it kind of, I was trying to kind of come up with ideas when I was driving home and I thought, okay, everything I was thinking of kind of went back to Terminator 3, like when he got stuck on the wrecking ball and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted him to maneuver the young Wolverine into positions where he was hampered by everything that he thought was a, a, a positive aspect of his abilities. In other words, right. like magnets and magnets and things where he would be too heavy or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Luring him into situations where he was not as, as agile as he thought, or like finding ways of neutering the claws and the violence. Like mm-hmm. you see good martial artists do, right? Right. Moving close yeah, quarters and block really the sword. I would like you know. to have seen that. I think that's one of the places that the fight scenes in particular were just really dropped the ball was, like, the the contrast between the way Wolverine and X-23 fought was great. It was perfect. But the contrast between X-24 and Logan, there just there didn't feel like there was any gained experience there. True. And and at the same time, though, I had to I had to admit to myself that part of it is Logan was fighting. He was older, mm-hmm. weaker in a lot of pain and his healing factor was failing. So the bottom line was he was really just getting his ass dragged around for two battles. He basically got killed twice. He got killed twice, (laughs) right? Like he was, it it was more like he was just barely holding, barely holding. He was stalling. Right. Nothing in that battle. I still would have liked to have seen more strategy being employed, but you know, yeah, he, he, he never had the cinematic thing where that we've seen in everything from, born identity to equalizer to you know to 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 any of these like statham movies where he's creative in using his environment as a weapon he didn't do any of that it was just sort of like slash slash oh that doesn't work i'm I'm screwed (laughs) right so but i but i don't know on the other hand they made x23 more interesting because they played to her frame and her size and her energy she was all snap muscle right man i loved every single scene that she had her claws out (laughs) like stay behind me barring she goes right over right over his shoulders and that Um, opening sequence in the 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 junkyard as they're getting out of there with the the limo was just so great that fight sequence was amazing it was really really good yeah i I um I like that they made something interesting in how she fought as a young, very nimble version of a Wolverine. Like yeah. she didn't just hack and slash people the same way he hacks hack and slash people. And I like that. And they made her her little foot claws so effective too. Like the way she'd kick it, up into it and then rip away and oh, just impressive. Yeah, and I can't I can't buy the you know, they, they had some bullshit like, well, you know, she's a female of the species, which is a survival yeah. thing. So it's a mutation that makes sense because they have to have some uh, a secret claw and reserve. No, no. Yeah, none that of was that. unnecessary. I mean, I I appreciate that they're like, we got to think of something for this stupid foot clock because I've always thought it was the dumbest thing when I found out. She it was the that. dumbest thing ever. Uh, it so looks stupid. stupid and it acts stupid. Yeah, no, I get you. I totally agree. Yeah. But at the same time. They made they somehow managed to make the foot claw make sense in the movie. Like yeah. it was actually cool to watch. I never right. thought ever, <laughs> ever that I would feel that way about a the stupid foot claw, man. No, not even remotely. <laughs> um Yeah, so I like that. I like that she was jumping over things, that she was absolutely fearless. Um 
So, okay, so maybe some criticisms. Because we can have criticisms, right? I, I can't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, what could you possibly complain about, sir? None of the cloning, none of the WebNX program makes any sense whatsoever. Does it ever? So, <laughs> well, okay, so in the, in, the con, in the context of this movie, uh, Grant's character created a Soylent Green that cured, cured humanity of the mutant gene right. as a magic bullet. It's gone. Oh, magic bullet. Let's talk about that in a minute. Okay, so they... <laughs> you mean the Chekhov so cures, bullet? Oh, yes. So they cured... <laughs> that's right. So he cured, he cured humanity of this mutant gene, and it's done. Mm-hmm. So then they go to great lengths to create a lab-based experiment where, by which they create super soldiers with mutations. <laughs> Not just super soldiers, but mutations that are mutants. Right. They do all this after ex- so that now they're, they're no longer naturally occurring, so we're going to manufacture them and then use them as weapons. Like They have all it, the mutants then, Tom. <laughs> yeah, but <clears throat> there's no reason to, like... Why cure humanity of, of of the mutant problem in the first place? Yeah, if they right? left out the part about them curing humanity and it was just, oh, the mutants disappeared, we don't know why, but we're using this to create our own, it would have made more sense. The right, logic like, of them like, eliminating them, then making more, was pretty ludicrous. Yeah, like the the idea that... that they would go through that work to 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 eliminate the gene and then all of a sudden have to create it was not consistent. It no. could have gone through the work of subjugating it or controlling the mutations mm-hmm. and shaping. And more specifically, if, the, if there's a fundamental aspect of, of the mutant concept is that there's arbitrary or random mutations. Right. So the number one thing you would want to do from a eugenics standpoint is control the mutation. Right. right. So that should have been the objective of that program, which is completely shape build to suit mutants, right? right? So that didn't make sense. And then also this whole like hatch a bunch of kids using half human, half mutant DNA, which was quite literally mutant DNA. This was <laughs> right. turkey basting, right? This wasn't gene therapy. <laughs> That's this was turkey the way basting. it looks. Yeah. Yeah. And that they would do this and they would go through the work of creating a bunch of what seemed to be normal aging Mm-hmm. From birth, basically vat-grown humans, right? Who all all happened at the same time, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're they escape and all that other stuff. That also didn't make sense because no program that's designed to weaponize uh, super soldiers would want to sit around and wait eighteen years, sixteen years, fifteen years, if you figure you could brainwash them into being weapons as as middle early teenagers. Right. That's way long we don't even do that on like fighter planes and stuff right Right. (laughs) they're in development for 20 years but their actual production time is like four years right so it doesn't make sense so the concept the very concept of a child clone of wolverine doesn't make sense in the comics didn't make sense in the movies but they could have spun it in a way that did it just wouldn't have been able they wouldn't have been able to rationalize all the other kids which i felt like we didn't even need like it could have just been her yeah the 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 kid thing was probably my the largest complaint about the entire thing like they did not have the kind of love and attention that laura obviously did in terms of developing her character and stuff they were too cutesy they 
Uh, yeah, and like you said, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It would have made more sense if they'd done a little Genosha-ish, and instead of that growing these custom-made humans, or mutants, they'd just been rounding up the last of the mutants. And, yeah. you know, they, they tracked down these mutants and had them in the thing and were kind of storing and brainwashing them, that kind of thing. That would have made a lot more sense to me rather than just doing the Weapon X shit. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're right. Because um, if you're going to go clone and if you're going to go um, that grown super soldier, it made a lot more sense that it would be like X-24 was a full right. adult, a full adult, you know, fully, fully ready for action in its in its prime so 20 21 yeah. years old and completely controllable and you know what i mean like right. there's no reason to even have like, the kids we made 74 of these and then realized we made a mistake and so we made one of them the right way <laughs> right yeah right so 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 that's that was a problem i had with it like i could i could conceive of her being on the run having escaped the lab as a child like right. it was their first round of genetic um experiments and they they didn't know how to go straight to the adult they didn't right. have that technology yet and so all they did was is create their there's their mutant baby and and then she escaped or the nurse got her free and she's been on the run feral for 10 years or something right. like that would have been or like she's been in someone's basement the nurse has been hiding her for all this time or something like that that would have been or like even the way it seemed like at the beginning where she's bouncing the ball and she's in the back of the cd motel mm-hmm. like she doesn't know that she's this experiment she right. just thinks that she, she thinks she's normal the fact that no one else has claws never occurred to her. She just thinks that she's just a normal kid. Right. Like that was more pl- plausible to me than the way it was actually set up, that there was this massive jailbreak and that all the nurses banded together and they snatched all the kids and somehow circumvented all the security. And, <laughs> and escaped yet they just like went off randomly instead of sticking together as a group. They're just like, now all of us split up. Each of you take a child. Yeah. Well, yeah. And yet so all strange. of them, but, but all the other ones somehow managed to ditch their nurse mentor, their nurse, right. nurse uh, guardian angels, and then form a group and, and meet just shy of the border. Like it just didn't that aspect of trying to make the 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 destination of the road trip make sense. Mm-hmm. To me, it was unfortunate because it didn't matter. Like it I didn't agree. need any of that. She could have just been, I'm running or right. he could have been like, I'm running. I know people in Canada. Right? Well, or even and just, just imply like, like, think of how, like, like heartbreaking and dramatic it would have been if they got there and none of the kids, like, the, the kids weren't involved with it at all. It was just the one delusional nurse that got the idea of Eden from the comic book, and they didn't realize it until they got to that place and were like, oh, this isn't real. Right. Now we have right, to right. save ourselves kind of thing the use of the drones and all that stuff i it was amazing that they never gave the payoff of like there's a there's a super fence <laughs> you know <laughs> right. and it, you know and uh, there is something special about the canadian border that these people won't cross or yeah you know, what, what they was didn't up even, with that it didn't it was totally inexplicable they didn't even need to like they didn't even need to rationalize it that much they could have just shown like a sleek you know, some sort of sleek facility on the horizon and then they mm-hmm. finally made it to some sort of weird 
you know, mutant haven that they've always sort of idolized in these movies, and they don't even have to go into detail. Right. But you never saw any of that. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was just like and, and a the weird, kids, the kids ill-defined were thing, as if as if Pierce is really going to stop when he hits the border and be like, "Oh, I guess they got away, darn kids." Yeah, it just that that part was definitely super illogical. <laughs> also, why was Pierce and Grant, Grant's character, whatever mm-hmm. that doctor's name, scientist's name was, why were they after her and Logan in the first place? Because if they because if they were able to create X twenty four, that means they perfected mm-hmm. the system. Right. So why do they care? Why do they care if a small handful of the younger ones got out? They're obviously above the law, so they're not worried about the secret. Right. Um, and, and and I suppose one idea would be, well, we don't want them to come back and get us later. But eh, I don't know. They don't seem like they're too worried about it. They were shooting them no. from the back and dragging them, beating them against trees and stuff. It didn't seem like they were concerned about them as being uh, potential combatants. I mean, so maybe like, why, just for, why were they strictly from a political standpoint or something. But yeah, you're right. It didn't really, like, what, what do you care about any of these guys getting out? <laughs> my my read on it was that they were property. Yeah. And yeah, it, was it was just more like, of an well, these... angry thing when your dog gets away and you got to catch it kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I was, especially the way Grant was sort of acting, my, my sense was it was like these kids were you know wait a minute no you, you come back here because we've invested in you and and i have a you know i want to sell you to the saudis or something like right. that was that was my impression of how it was supposed to be but it never really was conveyed that well um it was more like the mechanism was in place to be implied they must be hunted so right. we gotta run right <laughs> but the fact once they brought out x24 it fell apart because now, now there was no reason for them to care that much and certainly no reason why they would throw everything they had including their best clone at taking out Logan when he's Logan's dying and old and whatever and it's very obvious to everyone who's pursuing him they even said it like I think right I think Pierce even was like talking about it like oh yeah you're not you're not so spry anymore or whatever it was you know it was very obvious to everyone that he was was failing or like fading out like why would they spend all these resources yeah what would have been a stronger final act to it would have been okay we're gonna we're gonna catch him up catch up to him at the farm here we're gonna take care of him if it doesn't work, whatever, screw him, we'll let him go. And then they kill Professor X, and Logan goes after them instead of the other way around. I agree. I think, I feel like you can you can forgive a lot if it becomes someone is um, cruel just to be cruel, and it inspires someone else to be, get revenge because they're like, well, that just will not, will not stand. Right. So I was willing to accept that like Pierce might kill Xavier just cause he could. And then that would spurn Logan into spending his last resources, getting her away and then coming back for revenge or something right. like that. But otherwise it made no sense to, to spend the resources to go after this guy or, or it, even if they were just property, it didn't make any sense. So right. yeah, you're right. There was, it just, it, the, the motivations I, I liked that they were so vague about why they were doing it, it was sort of like, because they can, Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I felt like you could tighten that up a little bit. Like we always say, like you had the script for a year. Couldn't you just tweak that a little bit? No one came to their conclusion they didn't need to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was totally um, yeah, the, 
enjoyable to me. It wasn't until after the fact that I was like, hmm. Like, while I was watching it, it never really bothered me, per se. But after the fact, I was definitely like, hmm, I feel like they could have done that differently. Yeah, you know, also, I kind of felt like um, uh, they, they also didn't really explain. They, they made a whole thing of, like, like Logan actually, you know, he effed up by 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 sending Caliban to go take uh, Pierce out in the desert and put a bullet in his head. Right. And of course, then he fails. So yeah, if he had just done it himself, this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, though, then they make a whole point of capturing Caliban and saying, You're, "We're going to use you to to hunt these hunt the hunt these people down," which is a trope from his origin in the comics and all this other right. stuff and yet and yet we never really go back to that and they they kind of say like they even say save him his genetic material will be useful because he's a tracker or some shit right. and then you know that's the end of it i kind of wanted to see a scene where he sends him on a wild goose chase to 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 sort of protect our well protagonists. I, I, I feel or like something. he's he was just too weak to do that like he he was intentionally slowing them down like, taking longer to get them places to try and give them a heads-up kind of thing. But yeah. I think he was just too afraid for that. And I, I actually like the scene where they were like, save him for the genetic material, he'll be useful. Because it, it implies that, hey, we're going to take him and make a clone of him that's capable of right. tracking. I, I liked right. that. I thought that was a nice touch. And then he blows himself up, so it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, honestly, like, if any quibble I have about the movie, like, 90% of them rose after I'd seen it. And after the glow of how much I enjoyed it kind of faded. Yes. Yeah, like, I the agree. It's all one thing that, like, really stuck out to me as I was watching it, as it ended, I was like, oh, I wish they'd done that differently, was the fact that they were literally, like, what, like, three blocks to the Canadian border but they didn't make sure Wolverine died in Canada. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like, right. I mean, he's like the Canadian superhero. How did they not have him be like, let me let, bury me in Canada or bub or something like that right at the very end? I think that would have been a really nice little touch. Um, but at the same token, though, I think that there's something really, um, when we talk about this cowboy noir thing, mm -hmm. it was very cowboy noir that he would not make it to the end. That he would no, not I make agree. It to, That's true too. That, that he that he actually would have this like symbolic but otherwise un, uh, unmarked grave. He's just a, he's an incredibly important figure that 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 people in the world and our and the viewers have mm -hmm. worshipped for so long. And he's got a you know he's got a stone a surface stone grave, which means the wolves or whatever would get to it in like an hour. Right. Right. <laughs> All right? Um, and and that's it. Although I like the fact that she turned the cross and made it into an X. That was a scene that either would have been a, so bad if it was a bad movie, mm -hmm. but then was so good because it was a good movie, right? There were, I would say, at least half the theater ugly crying at that point when I watched it. <laughs> I watched it with a fairly packed theater, and like people were openly sobbing when that happened. That's funny. I was pretty that blown away, actually. Funny. I mean, I went with Devin and Lindsay, and Devin was was one of them, and Lindsay was tearing up. I had a little bit of a, a teary eye situation going on too. Like they handled it so well. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I find that fascinating. I never, 
I didn't feel I agree. It was a very it was a very good death for him because it was so tragic. You so didn't want him to die. Right. That said, um, I felt like Xavier's death was sadder to me because Mm -hmm. it, it was more sudden. It wasn't played for the emotions. It was it was like you didn't even have time to think about the fact that he was that his final moments of lucidity mm-hmm. were his own his own savior and final friend stabbing him and killing him and not well, realizing that it wasn't really him. Yeah, I think I mean there were definitely people crying during those scenes too. Sorry, I'm in the middle of prepping for a con. We didn't actually mention that, but all the noises you've been hearing is me prepping for Fan X right now, and I'm literally, like, making metal plates right now, so... <laughs> that was me dropping one. Uh, but, yeah. Fan X, they can say, or, like, at some other future convention, because of the way this is the delay in publishing this, right. but, you know, someone's going to be like, can I have the glass that you were making in hour, four, hour, four, 23? I'll be like, no, that one got dented when I dropped it abruptly onto the dog. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but I mean, I think that that was really tragic because, uh, yeah. in a way, he was because they had set up this 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 surrogate family where Xavier was the father, right. Logan was the son, and then she was Logan's daughter, and so it. I've always found the concept of the father or the parent being usurped and finally replaced or killed by their own child incredibly tragic but, and so the idea he's so weak and he's so vulnerable and then he gets he seems to have gotten killed by his own kin seemed really really tragic to me well to be fair though at the same time too i mean it was super tragic and there were definitely people crying during that scene too but we've also established that you have identified really strongly with that performance during this sure Right. So it does make sense that that one was a lot more effective for you. I mean, it wasn't so much how it was um, presented in the film. Like I said, I felt like they went pretty fast. It was sort of like, okay, he's done. It was. One. It was super fast. I, I did love his overreaction with the shovel after burying him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That scene <laughs> yeah, was just sure. so perfectly Wolverine. I thought it was really great. I, I, I kind of feel like the whole that whole second act where he befriends the family that's being squeezed out of their riparian rights by the, mm-hmm. the the farm bosses was a very ham-fisted attempt at pushing some more Shane at us, right? Yeah. Like, there, we've seen entire movies that dwelled on, well, we're big shots, but we got to now hunker down and defend these poor farmers from the big bad at great peril to our own lives. I mean, they've wasted entire Star Trek films on that. <laughs> right? right. So... The fact that it was only a second act thing was nice, but it was very sudden. I almost felt like we didn't need the it's been it's been ballyhooed. I mean, people talk about it as being this really great thing that this movie we got to know this family before and then we got to see the tragedy of them. Well, you know, to me it was more like I I kind of felt like it should have been more like, you know, hey sir, you know, hey friend, we'll we'll give you a ride and him saying, like, No, 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 you gotta keep going and they're like, No, no, please come in and then they get wiped out. Like we didn't right. need, the fact that Logan was like well, Xavier just Xavier out of his mind ninety nine percent of the time just told me we really should stay the night. So I guess, I guess that's a manageable risk for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not. You know, like I don't know. Like, it, it's. I felt like the mechanism of that of that of of, of that family being um, a reminder that people around him die, 
um, and that his his world is very dangerous for people and unfair was fine. But I felt like it didn't even need to go 20 minutes. It like it could have just been just like, you know, like in the movies, sometimes there's like a guy like maybe your your bad guy is on the road and some nice family pulls over and says, hey, you need a lift. And he shoots him in the face and takes their car like that's the kind of thing I thought that family needed to be in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I I don't know. It it felt the scene with them going out to the water in particular felt excessively long and just a little too much of a western tribute to it. Right. Yeah, you know, it was I so it, but it, it it was so it almost felt like we got shunted into someone else's movie. Right. Oh, the water the water pressure's low. They're 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 you know, they're water rationing too much, but let's go take care of it. And like, wait, right. what? <laughs> you know, it, it almost like it would have been, you know, like maybe if in the first, if, if it had been more of a, uh, a, like a Fury Road deal. Like Fury Road is a good example where the, that whole world's uh, conceit is that water is precious and people are dying because other people are being stingy with water and using it as a, as a weapon, you know, there it makes sense that a character would stop and be like, oh, I feel really guilty. Maybe I'll help this family out because someone's squeezing their water supply. Right. Because it's already been established that that's a primary conceit in the world, right? This mm-hmm. is like, it's like, you know, space station stuff. They're, they're squeezing our oxygen out, you know? Right. But this was sort of like just in the middle of the movie. Like, well, you know, we're low on Dr. Pepper and we really like Dr. Pepper. Those guys won't give us any, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know. Another thing I thought um, so that cynical. bothered Oh, no. The other thing that really bothered me was that they referred to and acknowledged X-23 as being his daughter, genetically, literally his daughter through in vitro. And I think that that was very literal. And I think that it works better in the comics that she's a clone because it's not a daughter, not even a sibling. I think that the concept of a clone relationship is very fascinating and they didn't even touch on it. Yeah, right. no, it was, yeah, the the entire thing is a very, like, yeah, it was addressed very strangely, honestly. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know how I feel about the the entire, well, it's a generic, genetic child that's made, I I feel like clones are overused, and I understand that they may not have wanted to go that route, but I do definitely feel like they could have gone a little less of a, well, this is your actual daughter here, daughter, daughter. <laughs> uh, C.J. Cherry, one of her one of her many amazing book series called Cytine, is kind of plays on that concept that you know there's a there's a remote. There's a remote colony of, of, of humans or post-humans that, are, that were like a mining colony that's expanded and eventually gotten independence, and they're in a war with Earth. And that's the premise of her space opera series. And uh. that remote planet, Cytine, is entirely clones because they it was the solution to the problem. How do you go and colonize, rapidly colonize a very distant uh, mineral resource? And it's like, well, you can't bring enough... You can't bring enough eggs and then hatch them and then grow them without the material and the and, and, and the resources to, to to sustain that life. And so they just sent out a bunch of, you know, the, you know, clone making technology and clones, and they just rapidly built 
the, the, the human infrastructure to start this mining operation. And then they eventually developed their own, you know, they developed enough independence and enough infrastructure to say, okay, we're done. But the book is directly about clones dealing with the clones of themselves. No one knowing who's a, who's the, who's a primary and you know, like who's, who's closer to the source than the other one. And does it matter? Does it matter? Like, okay. it's really fascinating because it's like a very, it's a, it's a truly alien social construct. And I thought that that was really neat. And so to me, the idea of X-23 being a clone is a lot more fascinating if it's a little, it's a little female Wolverine or mm-hmm. it's a little female James Howlett, right? right? Not his daughter. And I understand that that's the, the metaphor of children and all, oh, it's you, it's a little you. It's not. Kids are their own right. people. And so I, I don't know. So well, that's I can understand I how it may not have been as effective to a lot of like mainstream viewers if she'd been saying "daddy" to a clone. Yeah, I can see how that that may have been a a choice that they made intentionally. But yeah, overall, especially as science fiction and comic book fans, I would have preferred it being a clone. <laughs> I mean, this was quite literally. Uh... You know, your your ex-lover showing up and saying, by the way, this is your child. Right. And you suddenly have a child and then they get shot. Now you're on the run and you have this child that you never knew you had. And that's a much more common story concept than what I think it could have been. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, I don't know. I think that's a direction that I wish they had taken. Also, in the X-23 comics or the Wolverine. Sorry, I should say the Wolverine comics of the last uh, year and a half. There was this whole arc and it's still ongoing where. Uh, X-23 now taking on the mantle of Wolverine, right? She's wearing the Wolverine costume and everything else after he, you know, supposedly died. She comes across clones from a Weapon X program of her, like clones of her, like her same deal, right? Like they were making more of her. And so there's like three adult women of her same age or young adult women of her same age. And then there's one that was like, you know, 12, and over the course of this multi-issue storyline, the adult versions are the ones that were her age that she's running with. They all basically die off in mm. the course of the story. And then she's left with the younger version. Okay. And it works great because they're, they they interact more like sisters and mentor-student in a way. But it's very clear that this is not her child. It's not her little sister. It's a little her right. with, different world, with different world experience, right? Like it's it's. So, so I don't know. In a comic, they're managing to pull it off better than they did in the movie. So that's unusual, I would say, in this case. Uh, what else? I think uh, I, I came away wondering whether she – I didn't understand uh, – I didn't understand that she had these metal claws, okay? Because mm-hmm. they show the file when it's the files floating around and you see that they have these like focal points of – surgery that they were like inserting claws on her right Right. they show video footage of them like doing that or whatever Mm -hmm. and yet like i came out of there going wait this makes no sense you can't bond adamantium to a child skeleton it's growing it doesn't make sense but then i realized they never actually showed that and i don't think that she had an adamantium skeleton no i think think she she had had claws claws. yeah and yet and yet why would what's that well, no. I mean, why would you why would you give her claws? Let alone well, why would you give her the foot claw? Well, I why think, would you give her claws at all? I think their logic was that she had the claws, 
naturally as a side effect of being his progeny. It's just that they didn't give her, they just coated him in adamantium. But as okay, a but 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 the whole thing of him having bone claws was a retcon, and they didn't even acknowledge that in the movies until that one moment where they, you know, the X Men movie where Magneto stole his adamantium. And then he had bone claws for a minute and a half, and then next time he shows up, he has metal claws again. Well, didn't he have it, bone claws in um, Days of Future Past when he was sent back to? Well, right, but then, but then at the end of it, remember how at the end of Wolver, so at the end of Wolverine, right? Isn't that the right what happened at the end of Wolverine? There was a a I'm starting to blur, but I think it was the end of Wolverine where there was a stinger where he and a, a suddenly alive Xavier or like in an airport or something like that. And he's got, and he gets the, and he gets the briefcase and it has the brown and yellow costume in it or some shit. And he has the uh, metal claws again. Right. That was at the end of one of the Wolverine movies. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's not, it's, I think it's Marie. It was Wolverine. Or somebody like that, that he was in the thing with. Well, but Xavier came back out of the blue after having been killed. And the bone claws are replaced with metal claws. I know this for a fact and anybody who could say otherwise, don't bother writing in or tweeting or contacting us or coming I'm, to my house I'm, because they're I wrong. I think the people that are tweeting and writing and coming to your house are just not understanding exactly what your point is. <laughs> <laughs> my point is, why would they put – you're saying they, they would bond adamantium to some bone claws, which again doesn't make sense. What are you going to shave them perfectly thin and then stick the metal on it? I don't know. But anyway – you're saying the bone claws were there, so we're going to put adamantium on them so they're more effective. But right. the whole adamantium claws thing came about because they put an entire – they gave him an entire skeleton of it and then gave him a weaponized extension of it at his extremities. If they don't put the skeleton on, what's the point of the claws? How, how does an adamantium claw work if you don't have the skeleton behind it? It would snap right off the wrist, right? So that well, part didn't – it was a it was a it was a trope of the character and it didn't make sense to me. See, but I I was under the impression that he's like up until they revealed the bone claw thing, they'd always just assumed that his claws were part of his mutation. Was that yeah, not correct? No. <laughs> in in Wolverine's story, his his until they retconned it, his claws were part of the 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 experiments on him in the weapon x program okay the, they were part they're basically part of the adamantium skeleton thing okay physically functionally so and i'll and, and i'll and again going forward to well okay so now we're hatching clones of former mutants to make super soldiers out of them there's nothing precious about wolverine having claws other than hey he has a weapon he can always use but like mm -hmm. if i were to clone wolverine i don't necessarily need another guy wielding little claws i I, I want the guy who's really rapidly violent and has a rapid healing factor. That's the right, important but you're part. pulling like like logic from how you would be doing things, whereas these guys oh, are yeah. clearly basing all of the logic off of the comics where he does have the bone claws. Yeah, but in the movie, but so okay, yeah, right, fine. The pro <laughs> okay, we're fine. We're, we're falling down the hole of continuity loss because in this movie. It's what this movie has wiped away everything past, I think, has wiped away everything past the first X-Men movie. So there is no tradition in in Logan's continuity. I don't think that's actually true. I don't think that's accurate. Like, I feel like 
everything that happened happened. It's just maybe not necessarily the same timeline. Hmm. So you think? Oh, wait. So you think it's divergent timeline? I mean, Mangle has come out and said no, no, and 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 uh, Schuler Donner has also said no, no. We just made the film that we wanted to make, and it has no connection to any other continuity. But you're saying you can follow that thread and say you can rationalize it as it being an alternative universe or a splinter of a splinter of reality from one of those other films? Or yeah, what? I mean, why not, really? I mean, it, 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 Wolverine doesn't mean anything to people if he doesn't have that history with the viewer. So for well, them to take yeah, a movie and say, true. okay, none of this matters, it's all retconned and nothing matters, none of this history is accurate anymore, it, it makes him less important and the story less important. Whereas if it's an alternate timeline future where that other wow. stuff happened... Uh. <laughs> wow, see, I, I, I'm coming at it from a different angle. I thought the whole, uh, you know, her looking at the comic book and them establishing that there is X-Men comics in this world, the whole point of that was just like Unforgiven. It's the, here's the reality behind the fantasy of your hero, that it was never, things never were like they used to be, that all of the, all of the superheroics that those films portrayed and all the wonderful, um, you know, Mary Sue nature of Wolverine never really was the case that it was all fantasy. It was all in the stories. And in reality, he was a reluctant guy running, running with Xavier and his people for a while and trying to keep from going beast. And now he's old. Like I thought that was the whole thing was, well, this is the reality of it. So I, mm. I don't know. Maybe it works on both levels, I guess. And I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I loved, I love the idea that everything that we had, all the, especially the hinky, messed up continuity and really cheesy stuff we've seen in some of the X-Men movies. I love the idea that that could have been the stories of the comics. To me, that was a great conceit, but I don't know. No, I, can, I, I can see I, your, sorry. I understand that that, I think it is a cool idea, but I don't think that, that it has to be mutually exclusive either. Like, I feel like being able to say both of those are things it's, the comics were based off of stories and legends that happened or maybe not kind of thing. It, I feel like it doesn't necessarily hurt the rest of the movie for it. Yeah. If that makes okay. sense. It does. I, I feel you. Well, does anything else about this movie, uh, strike you or that you want to mention and talk about or, you know, no, you, I think we covered, I think, we covered a lot about it. I think you've made me start not liking it now. So no. you've done your job. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I thought it was fantastic. It was by far the best X-Men related thing that we've ever seen. And actually, um, I, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's my is the best superhero movie the way some people are saying, because in my mind, it wasn't a superhero movie. No, it, it wasn't. It, I mean, it definitely had superhero things to it, but it's definitely it's not a superhero movie kind of thing. The, the, I, I feel like the people who say this is my favorite superhero movie they're they're fundamentally people who don't like superhero movies, right? Like this right. is the most palatable, this is the most palatable palatable version of of superheroes that I can handle because I really don't want to see capes and tights, right? right. And and I actually I think that there's a place for both, and I think a well done a well done capes movie is super satisfying, and then this was super satisfying, but they're two very different things. 
And I was glad that this was what it was. Yeah. Like, I, I'm glad that they had the balls to do what they did. And after Deadpool, they were like, well, we're going to make ours R-rated. And everyone was very, um, I think everyone was, was, was justifiably skeptical of that. But I was glad that um, what they turned out to do was make a f- similarly fearless project to Deadpool in that in that regard. Mm-hmm. It, it, it broke conventions and it and it was a story about these kinds of super characters. But it was a story grounded in a style that was much more um, interesting yeah. for all the vulnerability and all the limitations they gave it as opposed to all the things they could do. The world didn't blow up in this one. I absolutely thought it was great. There was no doomsday device in this in this right. movie, right? The stakes were very personal and very, very um, relatable uh, and had nothing to do with mutation. And, and, yeah. I, and I thought that's what was the best thing about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, uh, that makes me think there was something else I was going to say about... Um, <laughs> about that aspect of the stakes. No, no, wait, hold on. Come on. That's what we're here for. There was one other thing. Uh, it was that. Uh, oh, I know what it was. They. Th- there's a lot of attention on this movie, by the press and by other reviewers that I've heard, where they're like, "Wow, they finally found a way. They made a genre movie, and they called it a superhero movie. But because it was a genre movie, it was re- it was really, uh, you know, it was really experimental and bold and risk taking and stuff. And I kind of feel like that's not what was risky about it." <laughs> No. The fact that it was, you know, the fact that it was a road western was, was, was great, but it's it's become uh, popular to shit on the Marvel movies now and say, oh well, they're all a formula and they're the same movie over and over again. But when you think about it, though, they've been very successful at making genre films: mm-hmm. a mystery over here, a heist film over there, a comedy over here. Oh yeah. Um, and then giving them a certain flavor that makes them feel like they're part of the same thing, as well as the shoehorning of the continuity. And I get that. But overall, a lot of the Marvel movies have their own little flavor. Yes. And then they all tie into a bigger a bigger story, and it seems to work that way. And I think that, I think that that's underrated. I think people are not giving the Marvel studio system enough credit for that. And they're looking at stuff like this in Deadpool and saying, well, look what they did. They reinvented this. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know. I think it's... For them to say that about Fox and then look at the other times that they've reinvented themselves and how horribly all of those have failed, it's really not a fair comparison. <laughs> and I honestly think that's what it is. It's I think it's this is Fox. Like, compared right. to the other things Fox has done, Deadpool and Logan are radical. Yeah. But compared to other <laughs> Yeah. But compared to the Nolan Batman movies and some of the better Marvel movies, I think that we've had some really good examples of of taking risks and telling interesting stories within the superhero genre. And we just kind of, people are taking that for credit. Taking that, um, taking what? It for granted, I think is what we're looking for. Yes. That's what I was (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But damn good, right? So that was Logan. Yeah. How many soaps did you make? I did not make any soaps. That's tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I made switch plates and flasks tonight, actually, while we were talking. <laughs> I, I made I've been... 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 47 uh, switch plates while we were talking. <laughs> wow. Bum, bum, bum. Well, 
Well, for people familiar with my work, I'm working on the new uh, Third Rail sourcebooks, you know, TRL Universe sourcebooks, and a number of the character drawings I felt needed updating or redrawing. And uh, while we've been talking, I redid Winter Queen. I nice. redid Mercury. Mercury. I did Q Suzuki. And now I'm working on Armageddon. Nice. So, yeah. Very. Ooh, got uh, a lot done. Per- yeah, very, pr- very, very productive bullshitting session, I thought. Yes. Yeah, and we'll uh, take a break here. Well, for us, we're going to go to bed. But for you guys, we'll be back with something else. (laughs) (laughs) That was very subtle. Yes, Greedo. As a matter of fact, I was just going to see your boss. Tell Jabba that I've got his money. Song Pichale. Maratamti. Deeply Dapper Dispatch's podcasts are all brought to you by Deeply Dapper, of course. Whether you're looking for geeky decor, strange and unusual nerdy soap, or a piece of fine art for your walls, Deeply Dapper is your answer. Everything we make is handmade by my wife and I, and have been featured on sites like Wired, Reddit, Shut Up and Take My Money, BuzzFeed, and more. Give the gift of geek, or class up your own home with DeeplyDapper.com. You can also find us on Etsy or one of our many Comic-Con stops around the western United States. Deeply Dapper, better living through tentacles. Now, back to the show. Hey everybody, we are back. Or at least, back for you. We're always back for you, everybody. How long has <laughs> it been? It's been a while. I, I legitimately can't even remember last time we recorded I think it was at least over a week ago, but not over two weeks ago. <laughs> Greater than or less than a month ago, Tom and I got together <laughs> and we discussed things. And now we're back to discuss things again. It's very exciting for everyone involved. That's right. Except our so, significant others, possibly. They don't care. Possibly. <laughs> so are you or are you not in the Fortress of Smallitude again? Uh, temporarily, yes, I am in the Fortress of Smallitude again, uh, which is my garage slash studio slash, uh, well, it used to be where I took photos and stuff, but I haven't done any photos out here for a long time, except for product shots, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's finally getting spring enough that I can move out here, but... Unfortunately, it's not spring enough that I can apparently stay out here for any extended period of time right now. Thank you very much, Idaho. But <laughs> it's getting there anyway. Well, you know... Um, Where are you, Tom? Oh, good Lord. Uh, so I'm in sunny Northern California, which has been alternating between heavy rain and fair weather. The flowers fair are weather. a bloomin'. We are engaged in the worst uh, allergy season on record. Wow. All of the trees and the bushes and the flowers and everything have over. They have pre-bloomed. They're all in shock because they don't know what to do because it's so early for them. Mm-hmm. And there's powder on everything, and not in a Scarface way. So uh, <laughs> Why people not? like people like me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Maybe I just need to expand my horizons as far as uppers go. But anyway, uh, people like me who are fairly sensitive to this stuff, it's uh, it's it's a tough nut. I'm riding my bike every day that I can and uh, to work, and you know I'm getting there, and it's just like don't touch the eyes, don't touch the eyes. And yeah, then, I get know, that. I touch the eyes, but not in a Scarface kind of way. 
<laughs> totally different scene. <laughs> but I'm okay. You know, it's it's going to be raining. It's going to be raining heaps uh, tomorrow. But uh, and then today was cold and windy. But um, uh, Northern California March cold, not ah. yeah, thaw out the smallitude of cold. <laughs> but, so, yeah, I'm not happy having... about the fact that I moved everything out here. I cleaned everything up, and now I'm gonna have to move the computer back in for another few weeks because we could get snow in a couple days. So ah uh, yes, I should have expected did it, you, uh, but I'm not happy about it. Did you do? That scheme you had where you were going to take all the dog hair and, and duct tape it to the walls and stuff to make insulation, or did that not happen? <laughs> it wasn't duck hair. It wasn't dog hair. It was duck feathers. But, uh, <laughs> duck hair, whatever. Yeah, either. whatever. Duck hair. Yeah, duck tails. Woo. Uh, <laughs> you know, we tried to do some of that, and then at a certain point we realized that we were just kind of just – fighting against logic to do it because really what it needs is I need to put in a new ceiling and uh, insulate the whole thing. And that is not likely to happen anytime soon. So we kind of just called it good. I accepted defeat and I moved into the stock room for the winter. And now that Bonnie Spring (laughs) is back... I'm still in the stock room, but... Dear Penthouse Forum, comma, yes. I moved in the stock room for winter. I moved in. But, but what I found there... Was the same you, thing uh, that I always find. Disappointment and talk. Naked ladies. <laughs> hey, uh, Mr. Deeply Dapper, Mr. Chris, are you having a refreshing beverage? I, I am know. indeed. I am drinking... A 90-shilling ale from Odell Brewing Company. Yum. Yeah, it's not it's not the hard alcohol like drunks drink, but it's a nice amber ale. And I don't huh. have a clue where Odell Brewing Company is. It doesn't say anywhere on here. Uh, oh, Colorado. <laughs> Fort Collins, Colorado. And it's, a re- it's actually I- a really good beer. When I was doing the uh, timestamps and liner notes for our last uh, session, uh, our last recording. I thought you weren't claiming credit for those, Tom. Someone did, and I might have been involved. <laughs> anyway, it's who's to say? The point is, I've never seen I've never seen Google just throw up a – it's kind of like a Twitter upside-down whale. Like it just threw up a uh, – when I was trying to Google the name of the uh, beer that you were drinking because I had so badly – uh, misinterpreted phonetically <laughs> that I was landing on totally really ridiculous all X-rated responses and That's then finally amazing. just threw it through its head. Yeah, then I got it. What, I don't even remember uh, what I was drinking last time. A super dunkle something something. Ah, uh, my dunkle dunkle oh, wunkle wunkle. Yes, That's right. It's my exactly right. Dunkle dunkle yeah. drunkle uncle. <laughs> You're making me very uncomfortable right now. I can't lie. That's you, what we call uh, my brother and Devin when they come over to record for the other podcast. Is those are those are my dog's drunkles when they come over. <laughs> you were drinking a Lenin. You were drinking a Lenin Kugel Bavarian Dunkel. Lenin Kugel. Lenin Kugel. But how, somehow, when you described it to me, basically maybe your Idaho accent. And vernacular, or maybe just the the degree of inebriation I had, what I wrote was not that. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to get there. 
Tales of the previous podcast. What are you drinking, Tom? There comes a time when every podcaster and super sweet artist has to apologize in advance to their listeners, and this is that time. I'm, uh, well, I tried to make another mystery concoction. I've been making these weird random cocktails and naming them and drinking them, and it's so precious. It's an Instagram thing. And so tonight, it's fun. And then tonight, I do. My friend from uh, high school posted uh, a response last night that was a recipe for a uh, cocktail that has a toe in it. Ooh, and apparently, I couldn't tell. I, I wrote, I read quite a bit of the reference material from two different sites. It seemed legit, but who's to say? <laughs> do you put an actual toe in it or do you just dip a toe in? No, no. Dip a toe would have been sugar DVD and totally different. <laughs> this was straight up cut off toe, like a cadaver toe. So, you swim in strange circles, sir. Speaking of swimming, so my mystery cocktail tonight, I attempted to mix a delicious rum with a grapefruit, uh, sort of a syrupy grapefruit mixer, right? So I thought I was going to make some sort of cocktail, uh, a, a, like a like a tropical cocktail. So far, it's, nothing it's so of this wa- sounds delicious. Warm and pleasant. <laughs> so here's the problem. I just looked carefully, and the Dolce Vita grapefruit uh, beverage that I used in my he- healthy serving of rum is actually 70-proof Akavi oh, tequila infused. Infused with grapefruit. So I've decided to call this the Dolce Vamanos because <laughs> this is a, uh, this is like one of those, uh, you know, stainless, stainless tankards. Uh, yeah, this could go terribly wrong. Is this going to be one of the episodes so, no, where you end up passed out that I need to like call the, uh, call the authorities? I think it's going to be one where I'm going to be a hot mess and you're going to break shells and you're not even going to understand the connection between the two. That's every you know, episode. <laughs> you have a long history of breaking, drunken breaking of shells, um, but this will be the first time where my drunkenness causes you to break the shell. Oh, is that how that's going to work? Through the, the space and time of magic and drunkenness of what, some sort. 40% of, the, 40% of the convention people that we meet would say timey-wimey stuff. Timey-wimey, right? grimy-thymey. Isn't timey-wimey stuff what uh, he, the Doctor Who calls it? Sometimes the doctor who yes, that is what the doctor who calls it. Yes, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, this is our show. (laughs) (laughs) I like to imagine our subscriber number like one of those old timey tickers, like or no, not the ticker, like the bus. No, like Coen Brothers filming the bus depot uh, sign. And then it lands on what the next itinerary is. But it's all just numbers going downhill. It's hard to go down from 333, but, you know. You can do it. If anyone can do it, it's you and your shitty drinks. Hey, man, (laughs) if we could get into the negatives, that would be something. Someone would would write a BuzzFeed about us. Someone would write a BuzzFeed about us if we had negative listeners, right? I don't want to be BuzzFeed famous. That's the worst (laughs) kind of famous. Kind of. That's even worse than Twitter famous. It's not quite hey, YouTube Don't knock my high double-digit follower group of on Twitter. Yeah, you're Don't up into Twitter, the 30s man. now, aren't you? It's impressive. No, I'm like 70, man. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. So uh, I have no idea how many followers 
uh, what Kraken has on her because neither <laughs> of us has found a way to get back into it. It's like a go- it's a it's really appropriately a ghost ship of a Twitter account that we're still linking. We're still referencing all the time. We like to so think that the, the Kraken has not been unreleased by Twitter security. <laughs> <laughs> Re-unrelease that Kraken. Yes. <laughs> so no, I have you... to think that this this. Just don't deserve but, it, guys. You don't deserve your no, Twitter. <laughs> we we kind of do. We kind of do. We don't have neck tattoos. So this drink <laughs> I made, I made this horrible thing. Could it be better though than last last time's uh, uh, delicious uh, Omega Altos Agave Tequila, which was very high quality, mixed with Mister Mrs. T? <laughs> it's certainly probably more approving. I don't know if it's better, but people might turn up their <laughs> nose a little less at it. Ah, I see. Okay. So if, uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, carry the one. So this is like a 1,000 proof drink. Is that possible? It's not possible. Yes, that's entirely possible, but only in a timey, wimey, drunkle uncle kind of way. So, speaking of drunkle uncles, you and I are a little behind in our viewings, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are. We kind of suck. There's a lot no. to view, though, at the same time. So, I, w- I was thinking that very thing. Uh, what an embarrassment of riches that we have going on right now, where there are at least three hot shows that are competing for attention in our viewing, limited viewing. To- it time. is an embarrassment of britches. You, you happen to know? Did you see what I'm wearing? <laughs> embarrassing britches. Are you wearing dirty sweatpants and bare feet in honor of one of the shows we were reviewing? <laughs> <laughs> took me a minute i'm like oh you're referencing the random exposition drunk from episode one of Iron <laughs> no with google no i'm i'm wearing uh ridiculous uh cycling uh s- shants i guess shant like they're three quarter shant uh, is a good word for something like that are you are you wearing capris Kind of, but they're cycling like they're 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 higher than they're higher than a normal Idaho person's sock line, right? So that they come about just yeah, but, below the knee. But see, that's acceptable in Idaho. You're allowed to wear a pair of socks that reaches just below the level or just above the level of your shorts. It's it's winter protection and rattlesnake proofing. Sure, it is. that's rattlesnake proofing. But in Cal- <laughs> California, that's just called wearing capris, Tom. <laughs> but if these went lower than really high socks like that, then I would be, you know, edgy. And I'm not edgy, man. No, I'm you're just not. trying to make a living. I'm trying to get by. You're just trying to do what you do the way you do. My pants are unfortunate tonight, and you reference them, <laughs> and you can't even see me, but you can. I can't, but I can sense it. In a timey-wimey way. I was in the phone booth in your garage earlier this afternoon, and I was disappointed. <laughs> it's a Grafus pool. Oh, you are in the in the Grafus, aren't you? Yes. Also, a podcasting studio. I'll yes, have you know. Clearly, it is a high quality podcasting bl- studio. I have the blanket up. Can you hear the freeway? No, actually. Can you Excellent. hear my freeway? Is that uh, is that a, is that like a slang term? I had one car drive past I- earlier. It was impressive. Everybody got out oh, of their lawn chairs and waved. <laughs> it's like a scene from Cars. Okay, so I have a proposal, and that is that we start our next review. I think, or not really a review, you know what? but our first impression look. 
I'm gonna go make sure I hit record. You son of a bitch. I did, everybody. I did. These are the quality podcasting antics that you can expect from Robot Crack and new listeners. Not to be edited out. <laughs> These are the joys of not having an editor. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Production. You know what? If you guys supported us on our new Patreon page, Patreon slash Patreon.com slash Deeply Dapper, I would have time to edit some of this out. But instead, you're stuck with this. <laughs> I think this is great. This is raw. This is raw. in the now. It's spontaneous and combustible. Yeah, baby, so... like it raw. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say you like a <laughs> You did. So I woke up my children. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Daddy, <laughs> Daddy, I'm afraid of the raw monster. <laughs> Do you like it raw? Meanwhile, like your wife was like, oh, I was about to make the kids go raw. <laughs> that's, that's not, I'm just going to let it happen. But these are the pros and cons of improvised speaking. I so, feel like that's a this type is not really... of, of eating that your your family could do. You live in California. You have fresh fruits and or veg. That's true. And it's not frozen. Right. Like naturally frozen. Um, so, uh, so speaking of potentially questionable fruit, let's do our first impression of the Iron Fist on Netflix. The Fist Because I'm way in, or more than happy in. Iron. What? Yeah. And how many have you seen? I have seen the first three episodes and just a okay. touch of the fourth one i hoped to make it a little further in and then i realized it was time for the recording i understand uh i'd like to touch certain things in the fourth one but we'll get to that so i have a question what did iron fist mean to you before you started watching this show you know i gotta be honest virtually nothing <laughs> Even as a like Marvel, yeah, and from a comic book standpoint, from a Marvel zombie comic standpoint, Iron Fist has never really had any influence on my comic reading uh, prospects or choices or anything else. He's just never really fallen into my wheelhouse. Yeah, I and didn't the, like him until until like the the. Um, I don't know. Not the modern, modern era, but like maybe five or six years ago when when Bendis roped him into the Avengers, whenever it was, right? And so he's... Is that when he played you know. faux Hawkeye? Okay, not that part. Okay. But, uh, Spoilers, everybody. Right, he was playing... He played... Yeah, he played Ronan, and then he played faux Hawkeye or something, and then... But I mean, just, you know, I liked he was reintroduced in the way that Bendis reintroduced everybody from the 70s, but... And then more recently, there's a new... Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist series where they're okay. reluctantly back together, and I can I can understand the context because growing up a Marvel kid, I I understood their partnership, but I never read the old Power Man and Iron Fist cart comics, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I get the reference to something that I never really paid much attention to. Like you, he he never really struck a chord with me one way or the other. He didn't offend me even in the even in the green green spandex uh, capris and <laughs> and yellow ballet slippers that they ended up drawing him in for not remotely anything Asian, but um, no, not so much. But yeah, he just you know he was fine. He in in the four color comics world, he he looked completely consistent as a vaguely martial arts designed character, and you know fine whatever. Yeah, I'll I didn't have a strong that. feeling about. 
I had more of a feeling of, you know, WTF about looking at old Power Man stuff, Luke Cage stuff, because, you know, even even in the late 70s, early 80s, as a young reader, I could tell I didn't know what black exploitation was, but I could tell it was wrong. When I was looking at, <laughs> you know, right? what's funny, though, is I always really like had a soft spot for Luke Cage. Well, he was fun to read. I mean, I, I have read a bunch of his stuff from that era just through clips or repro- reproductions or I don't know where. But I was familiar with all that stuff for him, him uh, giving Dr. Doom a bad time and, <laughs> you know, give me my money. You yeah, know, right. All that horrible stuff. I don't know why I remember that from a childhood because I I don't know. You know, now that I say this, maybe I maybe I do have Power Man and Iron Fist comics. I have to. Maybe you. I'm not going to look it up. Have strong feelings for the the fist of Iron Power Man. <laughs> uh, from where we're recording, I can see all the bins of my uh, comics in there, big sealed, and they're buried on buried under stuff, and I'm not going to look it up. But let's say I may or may not have those comics. Okay. Fair enough. You know, context. I know that my family had some of those growing up just because my brother, like, he was the the quarter bin trawler, and he would always come home with, like, Avengers West Coast and Iron Man and Power Fist or whatever, and... And so that's where we usually got them, is we got them out of the, the quarter bins at the comic shop kind of thing. So that's the if I had exposure to Iron Fist, that's where it came from. But it never made enough of an influence on me for me to remember him at all. You know, when we start watching this this show on Netflix, you're looking at well, you know, how, are they going to pull in any of the comics influence the way they did with uh, with Luke Cage? They gave him the they gave him the tiara in the you know, super soldiering scene, right. Mm -hmm. As part of the equipment that was blasting him. So that was the nod to that. And at one point he had sort of a yellow shirt on, but, um, so you're, you know, watching, watching this on Netflix, you're waiting to see if he's going to just like show up in some stylized version, referencing his kooky costume. And what I find ironic is his best look in the comics is his modern one where he's wearing a green, a green with yellow striped tracksuit and big yellow and like bright yellow, uh, trainers and okay. given all of the overblown controversy about whitewashing on this show, that would have been funny if they did that. Maybe they will. I'm not done, but right. that is a straight up nod to Bruce Lee, right? So right. Even worse. <laughs> you know, that's um. Yeah. So so taking the TV show, we've you've seen four episodes. I've seen three. I've seen eight. Oh, you've seen eight now. Well, we're talking yeah, about three of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was your first impression of it? Well, okay. My first impression was before it started. Uh-huh. Because the backlash on this show, you know, we've talked about this before as older, me older than you, but still both of us older than a lot of people running around, the millennial types. You know, we still are so lucky to have programs produced on Netflix like this right. on comic properties, which are amazing compared to almost anything on mainstream television and certainly better than almost anything produced in the cinema or any format prior to the odds. Right. Yes. I mean, come absolutely, on. Absolutely. Without question. And, and the fan base completely flipped on this first because of the knee jerk. I honestly, I'm going to take, make an opinion here. The knee jerk 
reactionary thing about the perceived whitewashing of this story. Right. Not accurate. Not accurate. But it was a hot button item. And yes, Marvel completely blew their way of handling it. But yeah, not the first time nope. they they had practice. They had practice with the ancient one, didn't they? Yes. <laughs> and it won't be the last time either. The reactionary response to this announcement and early word on this show that it was whitewashing and that this is another sign in Hollywood that they got our appro- cultural appropriation and this is horrible outrage. That was to be expected, and it came from the mainstream. It did not come from right. genre fans who are the backbone of these projects. It came from the mainstream, and it picked up steam because it was sensational and it got into the the, the non-papers, you know, the, the yes. web. And, and, and it news. was a thing. But then the genre fans basically just sold it out. Everyone just jumped on the bandwagon and said, well, clearly Marvel's got to make a misstep and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, everyone's talking about how crappy it's going to be before they even saw it. Yeah, it's really and odd to me. I admit I was not sure about Finn's casting. Mm-hmm. I admit the perm is annoying. But <laughs> all the same, why are, you know, I feel like people didn't even come in on this with an open mind. I feel like they went in on it with this pers- this this bias that it was going to be a problem because those early reviews said, oh, it's, it's you know, I, I read some of them. They talked about it being uneven mm-hmm. and having pacing problems and having some questionable de- decisions in the plot, which can be applied to to Luke Cage and it can be applied to Daredevil season two. It can be applied to a lot of things and it can certainly be applied to every other show. Yeah, absolutely. In the history of shows. And yet what was interesting is once it, once that, picked up steam all of a sudden the reviews were talking about how abysmal it was and pretty soon they're talking about it like it was green lantern movie level of absurdity and it's a it was a way overreaction to what i've seen so like i said i'm in episode eight and i can tell you it's not the garbage fire that they're describing it as it's a much more maybe it's a much more in uh unbalanced uh or average series in the Netflix Marvel universe, but it still is a really fun. It's really entertaining for what it is. If anything, maybe it suffers from not living up to the potential that it could have had. And I would, I would support that, but I'm not, not enjoying it. And I think that a lot of the, the the commentary out there is confirmation bias, right? Well, I think they want to not like it. So then they've decided that it's no good. Right. And uh, so here's, here's my take from the movie or the show as I'm watching it. So, first off, I do not like the opening sequence. Yes, it's terrible. After having so many really excellent opening sequences with the Marvel shows, it's a little bit of a letdown because, like, I was legitimately looking forward to their opening sequence because sure. the others were so good. So that's and, and you, you could see it described. You could see it being pitched and saying, "Oh, okay." So as he's doing his moves there's a trail of action on where his fists and hands are going and you're seeing it like time-lapse and how right. you know, like those street, those streaming photography and how amazing that would be. But then they decided to make it liquid metal and it's a hot mess. Oh, it's, it's terrible. just so CG. It's terrible. With but, the Tron soundtrack on top of it. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the soundtrack is definitely one of its weakest things without question. I agree. I, agree. I don't understand how they, they were like, you know what is super popular right now. 80s Stranger Things synth. And I agree. Like, oh, Absolutely. yeah, that's a good thought. And I, I feel like a lot of this production is based on pre-reacting to what they think the criticism is going to be. Right. And failing. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, like, like the, those are really my two major complaints about it. And neither of them are deal breakers. They're not that dramatic. I mean, the music's kind of obnoxious, and I wish they'd gone a different route with it. Even just generic TV music would have been better. We we just talked about Lady. We talked about Lady Hawk last time, and we talked about our future podcasting subject of of music that makes the show right and or breaks it. And this is definitely closer to the breaking than the making, without a question. But you can, yeah. You but you can see them in the room talking about this right the producers or whatever sitting around going well we can't do a, some sort of vaguely eastern culture themed music and right. stuff because it will instantly be targeted so we've got to do something different and so we'll just make it urban you know we got to remind him that he's come out of the he's come out of Kunlun into the modern world so we got to give it a modern sound well guess what it doesn't work and, no, and there was an and there was an obvious gardens of the galaxy style option handed to them in the opening episodes where you see that he's playing that. Right. I have, I'm not even sure about the, I mean, the timestamp on that iPod is a little questionable, but the bottom line is he's playing nineties, like sort of weird nineties underground hip hop music. Right. Yeah. Why did they just do that? Yeah. It blows me away that they set it up for that and then never went any further. I don't get it. It's like, that's the most obvious, perfect way of, bringing something into this more than just it's just super weird to me luke luke cage had some hip-hop and some old school rap but also blended in with some jazz and some all and lots of other uh imagery in the music that was was very well designed for that show yes absolutely this one could have been a much more just straight old school specifically old school 80s and 90s rap and urban sound that could have been a perfectly fine way of showing that because that's what they want to do right they want to show him doing his his tai chi and trying to meditate and then right. in this grunt in this grungy place in in in, in brooklyn or wherever and then you, you hear the in, the in the sounds and the music and everything is so um disparate to his piece right that's what they needed right they but, yeah, and that opening sequence is is, is just garbage. I, you can see what they wanted to do, but they failed. Yeah, they really, really did. I was, it was probably the biggest disappointment of the entire thing. And the the simple fact is, is if they had, if this had been the first Marvel film, people wouldn't have problems with it. You're right. They'd be like, oh, this is cool. This is kind of a different take on superheroes, and it's kind of unique. But instead, they're like, this is not Daredevil. (laughs) That's true. You asked about what my first impressions were, and I mentioned that it it happened before I started watching. And it's really the growing frustration to the the preconceived notion of what the show was and how badly it would fail, combined with my concerns that all of the promo material I saw – show Danny Rand that I was having trouble adapting to. Right. And and I say that not having been a fan of the character or having a strong sense of what he's supposed to be. However, thinking about the tone of the different Marvel shows, mm-hmm. thinking about a character who was training for whatever it's been, 15 years. 15 years, yeah. I wanted him, I wanted him to come with a very strong, centered very calm approach and that his weirdness would be how he's not rising. Right. That he's very Zen. I wanted him to be 
so zen. And they started that way in the first episode, right? Right. Just walking around. But they had this thing where they had he had to also be a naive. He's a kid that came back and then and then. And so he's he alternates between being very centered and then also having this sort of hunched shouldered bounding down the street enthusiasm looking up at buildings like they weren't that tall when he was a kid. Right. Guess what? They were taller. He was smaller. Give me a break. Right. Yeah, Fifteen years isn't that long. Right. They're treating him like a Rip Van Winkle story and it's not. Right. right. So I wanted him to be very I wanted his thing to be very calm and people getting frustrated that he's not responding in the way they're expect. He's not respond, responding Western enough. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be super because, you know, he's supposed to be the lead, this the champion. Right. But he's made it up the ranks and now here he is. And I wanted him to have that level of maturity so that when he would go up against other uh, mini bosses mm-hmm. that were from either, you know, from the, the, you know, the Marvel universe mystical East or not, I wanted them to seem more brazen and overconfident and boisterous and, and cocksure than him. Right. And I wanted everyone to underestimate him. And then he just is on the floor with them. That's what, I, and I wanted total control in what he did. And what we're seeing is a story they chose to tell of him being his, his resolve and his meditation and his training being tested by his emotions and his issues and his 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 human needs that he was supposed to be leaving behind. And I don't know. It's OK. It's a story. But that's not the that was not what I wanted to see. Well, and the thing is, is we've been conditioned watching the previous movies to watch a Marvel television series about a hero helping people. Right. And this show is about a person dealing with his own problems. Which is okay. It's okay. But it could have been someone calmly dealing with their problems. Right. right? And, you know, like, I feel it was a really daring choice to make him the type of character he is. Because he is really unlike pretty much any other protagonist on tv right now in a lot of ways he's kind of quirky he's got some weird little things he does yeah he's i mean it's a story that you see more in uh i feel like you've seen it in film and you've certainly read it where it's a young uh you know sort of champion who can't get out of their own way it's i feel like we're watching anakin skywalker right a little bit yeah yeah um but if you look at the the pattern of the Netflix Marvel Universe stuff, Daredevil was the newbie, mm-hmm. overconfident, and then facing setbacks, and then fi- and then physically just powering through while his bones are breaking, right? To overcome and then try to, you know, try to survive this endeavor, right? And then Jessica Jones is total, you know, just nihilist, screwed up, all the problems that she had. And, and and slowly thawing into thinking of something other than herself. Okay? Right. And then Luke Cage is re- the reluctant hero who doesn't want to get involved, who, you know, Knows gets sucked should, in. Dude, but... Right, has yeah. been trying to... Ba- had various reasons for not doing it, then is basically pulled in from a community connection and then feeling like he ends up having to be a symbol and so he does. Okay, right. fine. So then when Iron Fist comes along, I wanted this... Not only did I want him to be calm, but I wanted the the problem to be an alienation story about him not um, – I, I wanted the East-West the east or rather the, you know, 
the the monk versus the material world conflict. I wanted that. I thought that was perfectly acceptable. He's been raised by warrior monks for 15 years. I like his confidence. I love when he's like, oh, I'm a warrior monk and I'm the best there is. (laughs) You know, that's great. (laughs) I think that's perfectly fine, especially in bare feet and, you know, tracksuit, whatever. Right. But I I wanted him to be about um, being lure being tempted to be lured off his path mm-hmm. and i really wanted it to be about being the the his human morality taking over from his his role and they've started they start to touch on that as it goes but i wanted him to be at almost immediately be in a position where what he's supposed to do as the iron fist is at conflict with what he wants to do as a human which right. he hadn't been he hadn't been challenged by that in the himalayas and now here he is and he's got a gray world where there's no distinct right and wrong, and right. he's chasing the the ghost of an, an of an enemy that he's not really sure even exists, right? Mm-hmm. So that to me was a whole lot of story. Which, but anyway, like you said, it, it's a daring approach, and you know. It's, well, and I think part of the problem is that they didn't really give us any indication of what we were getting into. Like with Luke Cage, they gave little teasers that fit the tone of the show perfectly. You're right. And it was exactly what we were expecting from it. And if they'd given us any of that prior to this, but instead it was like just swirling dragons and smoke and that kind of thing. And I think it's because the simple fact is is the first, at least the first three episodes, it's a lot of talky-talky soap opera. There's a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) I expected that. And, you know, and that doesn't bother me. Like I said, I think it's a really interesting take on the superhero genre and a way of them doing that in a way that hasn't been seen before. But I feel like I feel like it's directed really in an unbalanced way. I do agree. It doesn't seem to have a vision. I felt like the pilot, the pilot and another episode were very strong visually mm-hmm. and tonally. And then. Not the pilot, but the first episode, right? right. But then, uh, otherwise, it felt really uneven. Whereas some of the other ones, like Luke Cage, I remember there was like a random episode where suddenly it felt way off. Right. Like, it really felt like it fell into someone else's hands. It didn't have the same. Yeah. I don't know. And well, I think I just ahead. I think that the showrunner on this doesn't quite have a grasp on the history of the character the way a lot of the previous ones have. I think you're right. I wanted, with all of the, you know, we, we had this happening at the same time as Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. And look how different these responses were. So with Ghost in the Shell, the whitewashing cry was coming from Western audiences. Right. Far more than than in Japan. There were a lot of fans who said, I don't care. It's just a different version of the story. Who cares? Right. And they even had uh, the, the creator of the OAV, I think, is Oshi, right? Mm-hmm. He said... His quote was, what issue could there possibly be with casting her? Not like I prepared for this. I'm just telling you what his quote was. <laughs> the major is a cyborg and her physical form is an entirely assumed one. The name Motoko Kusunagi and her current body are not her original name and body. So there's no basis for saying that an Asian actress must portray her. Right. Even if her original body, presuming such a thing ever existed, were a Japanese one, that would still apply. I can only sense a political motive from the people opposing it. And I believe artistic expression must be free from politics. Okay, so this is the creator of the original material, or one of some of the original material, saying, "Give me a break." And also, by the way, it's a story. Right now, you contrast that with the the Iron Fist project and Marvel's mum about it, 
Finn Finn goes out on the red carpet in the early premiere of it and is really awkward and fumbling over like he wasn't given any coaching to talk about like coaching about how to deal with got offensive and got offended and shut his twitter down (laughs) for a day (laughs) and then i even looked up roy thomas and his you know i don't know if you heard any of his comments about it but they are exactly what you would expect from a 76 year old white man (laughs) like it sounds like my dad would talk you know he's just like eh, you know People are just making things up. It's just a story. If you don't like the story, go tell your own story and give me a break. And it was a product of its time and all this. And he's entirely right on all fronts, but he's right. very blunt. He's very un-PC about how he talks about <laughs> And I feel like, especially after Doctor Strange, and they had plenty of time, I thought they were going to go in on this with a very strategic way of addressing the elephant in the room, which was uh, the comics may have been – they were written by a white production crew – talking about a you know they were appropriating the the martial arts stories of of uh, kung fu movies but they were singing dark with a white kid and it was not to appropriate it was just because it was the story to tell and that's how they told stories back then right and it's just been it's more modern more sensible audiences saying well okay you know it's dodgy but in the grand scheme of the marvel universe it didn't matter there were like 85 martial arts characters of different types you know his own loved ones and partners who are martial artists are of much different ethnicities too. So, you know, who cares? But yeah, there was a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, very easy to predict reaction in the mainstream press. Yes. The story of a, of a white kid coming back from the, from the, the, from the East and being a Kung Fu master. And you think going in that they're going to head it off at the pass. I thought it was going to be a plot line. I thought every not a plot line, but I thought it was going to be a thing that everywhere he went and every time he showed up, people were going to be incredulous or mock him or laugh about it or make especially, uh, you know, Asian characters. Right. Right. I thought they were all going to make a huge deal about him being a, you know, this 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 little rich kid and, and pretending to be a martial artist. And then he would just kick their asses. I wanted that to be the case. <laughs> and it was so right in their face. It was so easy to do that. Right. And it's not like and it's not like they're afraid of taking on these issues because Luke Cage was an incredibly honest Yes. Har- Harlem story. Right? Yes. Like it was neck deep in it. And I loved it for that. Yeah. Yeah, and totally. So, there. so anyway. Um so you've watched uh three well, four point one episodes, right? Uh yes. Yeah. So so spoilers for this part, guys. Um, so he shows up in town, gets all, hey, let me in. I own this building, but I'm dirty and stinky and don't have any shoes on. And they kick him out, which, to be frank, perfectly good reason. Uh, <laughs> and he he raises just enough question about who he is and why he's there and everything for people to be like, hmm, and this is these are all direct quotes from the film, obviously here. Uh, sure. <laughs> and then they, I don't know what happens after that. He sits in a park for a while. He talks to a homeless guy. He meets Colin Wing, Colleen Wing, who is probably the best character in the movie, in my Easily. opinion, so far. Uh, and then more of that happens for another three episodes. <laughs> so what I loved in the first and I felt it at the time that it was a little weird that uh, he went back to to the like not just like 
a mile into Central Park or what? Right. Three quarters of a mile in. But like just like half 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 block off of the the perimeter of Central Park, you could still <laughs> see buildings or whatever. And he goes and sits down in front of a tree and then a friend a friendly homeless guy shows up and is helped out. And he was like, Oaks exposition hobo was what I remember right. thinking of. And like, well, that'll be interesting. I remember thinking, what a cool twist. He's gonna have this like a homeless sidekick. And even when he gets his money back, the guy's probably gonna they're gonna play it like the guy's like, no, no, I got I gotta make my own way, and he's gonna be shuffling around with a dirty sandwich in his hand, even though, and, or like he'd be riding in the Maserati with a dirty sandwich. Right. Like, that's gonna be the thing. He's gonna be a hobo sidekick, and it would be the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. And that actor was great, and I was like, this is gonna be awesome. And then it's like he delivered his lines, and then he's dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I've said my piece. Oh wait, perhaps I've said too much. Dead. <laughs> Pee in David your shoe, Chan. young Padawan. David Chan of uh, the Gen Pop uh, podcast. Uh, I started following him, and he uh, he, he he was really hating this. And he's uh, he's he's Asian American, and he just I don't know if that affects it really, but I'm sure it, it can't help right. um, anything based on the way people are reacting to this. But he's just he's just panning it. And uh, one of his tweets was in first fifteen minutes. A homeless man appears abruptly just to provide exposition. Rand asks him to Google Danny Rand. Dude uses the Photos app, and he shows a screen cap. <laughs> and it is, it is. They didn't bother to digitally edit it, so like they just they didn't want to they didn't want to fuck up. They actually just took a photo, you know, like they they imported in a Photoshop rendering of the news clip of Danny Rand's, <laughs> you know, the news item of Danny Rand's death, right? But it's his photos at the top, right? Wow. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. We got stormtroopers who hit their heads and, and uh, you know, and, and R2-D2s that fall over and no one's no one's complaining about that. But Right. That's pretty funny. That's hilarious. So, so, yeah, there's a lot of, well, very slow burn uh, process in here. And we can't talk about much of it because you haven't gotten far enough into it. But right. what we can, we can safely do is talk a little bit about the cast. Yes. So let's Which, start with. I think might be part of my biggest problem besides the music. Sure. I just, I feel like the cast is not as appealing as they should be. Okay. So let's talk about Danny Rand. So, uh, his name is, uh, Finn something or other. Finn Finn Jones from, uh, game of tolls, game of tolls fame. Yeah, he's he he he's the he's the cousin or whatever that uh, or the nephew that whatever he was cousin. Yeah, was, something like that. Uh, chained chained up and and forced to. Uh, he was repent. he was Marjorie's brother, technically speaking. Right. Oh yeah, right. Okay, uh, cousin brother. It, it, so anyway, lover also probably if I remember correctly. I think you might be right. <laughs> I think it did happen, and I think I remember it. Yes. So, so yeah. He, once again, another uh, British actor who could do an amazing English accent, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But it's his physic and it's it's his hair, his physical mannerisms that I'm struggling with. I get that. I think his, that's a fair I mean, point. If, you, if you look at his face and you look at his like the the, the the facial hair he's got and it's kind of the look he's given a lot of times, I'm actually okay with it. Yeah. But it's but I, but it, but you imagine that slowed down. Imagine him being still. And looking like that, maybe not that hair, right. shaved head, shaved head would have made more sense to me, honestly. But let's <laughs> right. He came from the warrior monk world for 15 years. Why does he not have a shaved head? I don't know. Anyway, because his face is it fine. took a really long time to get back to the U.S., man. 
Come on. They haven't, they haven't explained it. You're right. Great. <laughs> False IDs. But, but I don't know. I just expected him to have, you know, I, I, I just expected him to have um, more gravitas than he does. And he ruins it every time he scrunches his um, shoulders. And also he has a George Clooney problem. He does a little wiggle when he's talking. Have you noticed that? <laughs> he does a little shimmy with his head. <laughs> Once you see it, you can't unsee it, man. <laughs> this is why I was wanting to talk to you about this show. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I might have an opinion? <laughs> you you, you have observations that I feel need to be brought up to the common person that only you would come up with. And it's, it's amazing and wonderful to listen to. That's all I'm going to say. All the common people that listen to our show. Yes. But did you see that? Do you, are you aware of that mannerism? Does it bother you? I am aware of it in George Clooney, but I find it charming. Um, here, I did not notice it. I probably can't unsee it now, thanks to you. Just wait. <laughs> episode four. Episode four is going to be one giant wibble wobble. Damn you, but, Tom. Damn sorry. you. But there's a but but I'm going to lead to something here, and that is that we will be talking as we talk about this cast. There's a counterpoint to him, which is basically the irony is there's someone else in this cast that I feel like is the is the Danny Rand I wanted in this <laughs> cast. <laughs> anyway, so okay, he's doing okay. He, there's a lot of sh- there's a lot on his shoulders. I feel like yeah. he stepped in doomed to fail um, yeah. role. We I knew we knew he did. I don't understand why they didn't send him with an assistant. Oh man, what if? Well, maybe, eh, especially if the Doctor Strange movie hadn't happened, how right. amazing would have it have a, like even like a mute, like a mute monk assistant? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just always chilling, bringing it, doing the Wong stuff that the the Doctor Strange movie didn't yet do, but that we're used to from the comics, like bringing tea when he's like in the middle of a battle, you know, just like yeah. What? That would have been actually super rad. <laughs> it really would have been. I don't understand how they're like, well, he's been away for 15 years. Let's not even send someone to watch him quietly from around a corner. You're right. You're right. Although, uh, oh man, I just, there's so much I can't talk about. If you haven't seen. <laughs> That's what you get for watching so far ahead, you bastard. But he's in, but by the time you, I'm ahead. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Sort of the the tea party way of looking at it, but okay. So by the time you by the time episode four point one, he's he's in Rand, right? Okay, right? No, <laughs> no. All right. Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> You've seen the promo stuff. He's in. He's behind a desk. I've okay, only seen like enough that. of episode four to know that he didn't die when he got pushed out the window. Okay, but so there you go, and you saw the beginning of you saw the beginning of episode four, and saw that, you know, he's all right. Well, anyway, okay, okay. Hey, <laughs> speaking of which, let's skip ahead really quick to that. That was a really great. Not the not the end of the episode three where he gets pushed out, which is fine, but the beginning of episode four, yeah, where he, how he catches the flagpole, which is a it was a classic Marvel thing. But he had actually catches it with inertia because they really filmed it. So he flips, he's like he's hurling, and immediately falls to his fingers, and then immediately drops. I, no, mean, I did like that. Yeah, that was that was like Daredevil level. Oh, look, <laughs> you know, you study kung fu in the snow; it doesn't keep you from being able to just 
whatever hurled down the side of a building and not just grab stuff on their way down and be fine. I thought no, that was I great. Agree. I thought that was a nice touch. It wasn't. He didn't just grab it and then flip back up and wing wing and land up back up on it. That kind of thing, which is what I really expected to happen. I have a. Um, I actually have a fear of falling related to losing grip. I don't know where it came from. Probably, I mean, like I was never a tree climber, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't very uh, adventurous in that way as a kid. And but I've had, you know, I've had experiences in my younger life where, like, I was be holding on to something and I couldn't, I didn't have the muscle strength to lift myself up, and I felt trapped. Like all I can do is hold on with my fingers until my fingers give out. Like mm-hmm. I, I've had that experience, and I always associate it whenever I watch movies. I'm frustrated when. I mean, at least in Blade Runner, he's very desperate. Like he, he's, he, you know, he only has a couple of seconds before he's going to lose his grip and then he gets right. grabbed by Ben. But in these other ones where, you know, someone is holding on by three fingers and they're holding a, you know, a girl on their other hand or whatever. And you're like, come on. Yeah, it's totally so, unrealistic. I, I see something like that and I find that completely convincing. Like mm-hmm. when someone manages to pull themselves up um, without effort, I'm astounded that they think that we're going to buy that because come on. Right. You need you need leverage. Doesn't matter how strong you are. If you don't have leverage, you can't lift yourself up and over and and find good footing, right? Right. You can't lift them through the sheer power of your biceps. It just doesn't work exactly. that way. Exactly. It's the whole cyber cyber arm thing from previous discussions we've had, right? Yeah. Big powerful cyber arm. You're not going to lift a car. It's just going to tear off your shoulder. Right. right. <laughs> So Finn Jones, okay, and then uh, so uh, uh, so let's talk about the Meachams. Jessica Stroop, who Stroop. plays Joy Meacham. <sighs> She's so generic that I genuinely didn't recognize her in a couple of scenes and thought it was a different actress. It's like I thought we were watching the WB all of a sudden. Yeah, like she just feels really out of place in a Marvel TV show, and she has that bravado. The high heels and the mm-hmm. and this is how it's going to be and my hair is perfect and then that and it's like every it's like why I couldn't get into Arrow because every character was exactly her right right can't do it no and I can tell you right now in episode eight still can't do it <laughs> that's good to know if you think about bold casting choices I'm at if you just like randomly just throw a dart and just imagine random person that they would cast in that role it's going to be better than what they chose in right. my mind. You know, though, I uh, – the thing that really disappoints me about it is that I had no love for Deborah Ann Wall at all when they cast her as Karen in Daredevil. Like I had – I didn't like her. I didn't feel like she was a very good actress. I agree. And I know what you mean. So like I was thrown off by how much I genuinely liked her in that show. Mm-hmm. And so it's like – I really had hopes that this character wouldn't be that, but three episodes in and she's just more and more generic every time I see her. What I struggle with is that I, I feel like, I mean, she's, I feel like she's supposed to be the icy in control, uh, you know, brother, half of the brother, sister team that's running Rand, mm-hmm. right? Like as they pulled it out of the ash and they're basically just owning things and, and his return is a real challenge to their entire construct right. of being the ones who saved this company. I want her to be some cross between the way Gwyneth Paltrow looked in uh, in Royal Tenenbaums and the and like the blonde character in One Hundred Bullets. Like I want her to just be very severe and very 
and just you know what I mean, just like all business mm-hmm. and really like Gwen Stefani style wicked, like just like you can have the heels and everything, but just be like really like unemotional. And instead, she shows up and it's a WB soap opera. Yeah, yeah, I get the impression that um, and I genuinely can't tell if this is an acting issue or if it's a storytelling issue, uh, but. You can't tell if she's supposed to be a good or bad person. Like, there's times where she's, like, the sympathetic, like, I want to do the right thing. This is the best we can do. Then there's other times where you're like, wait a minute, she's schemy, and I don't like it kind of thing. And it's not played in a, oh, this is how the plot works kind of way. It's more in a she doesn't really know what she's doing kind of way. I have a great reference to that, and that is... The counter the the counterpoint to that, or rather the the performance that is that is, uh, what's her name playing the lawyer um, in Daredevil and uh, Jessica Moss. Jones, right? Carrie Ann Moss, yeah, is playing a character that you can't decide whether she's a she's on the on the good side or the bad side, right? And she's and she's drawn that way and she's portrayed that way and one of the best characters they've had in the Marvel universe for Netflix. Without question, I love yeah. every scene she's in because she's so gray. You're not sure where she stands. Right. And that's what I think they wanted Joy Meacham to be, that you can't tell whether she's sympathetic or not. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think the, the actress is just way too it, – it's it's her it's her fault for, for playing it like a WB and the director's fault for not seeing it and figuring out how to spin it because there was – you know, like I hear a lot from uh, – I read a lot of – or listen to a lot of podcasts about um, film production and, and – screenwriting and the, the process of making shows and movies. And there's a repeated point, which is that we tend to, on the one hand, assign way too much to the director, right? Because of Oscars, the right. director just defined the movie, which they didn't, the producer actually defined it really. Right. And then also, and also we undervalue the fact that the director has to guide the actors and you have amazing actors do shit work. Most of the time it's because they are not, they're not told that it's not working and they can't tell. Right. They can't tell because of the nature of how the production's going. They can't figure it out until you get to the end and they start pulling it, cutting it together and they go, oh, crap, it doesn't work. Right. So to me, that's that's we talked about the inconsistency of the format of the show. And I think part of it is the direction. I just don't think I don't think that that actress was being given the right feedback mm-hmm. on how to make her performance effectively neutral enough yeah you just can't tell yeah i agree but when you get to ward meacham played by mr tom pelfrey Mm -hmm. we get the iron fist that i wanted (laughs) this guy is a badass sandwich i cannot get over this guy i just i want him to just read the phone book interesting you don't like him I find him as a perfectly passable villain. I think he's exactly what he needs to be. But oh, I don't find him like super intriguing for me personally. He could he could he could play Keanu Reeves' brother, particularly in John Wick mm-hmm. <laughs> which you don't like. But the, <laughs> spoiler alert, we'll talk about that. But the point is I love his delivery. He's stoic. Mm-hmm. He's got interesting things going on with his face. He's got a very deep voice and he's very uh, he's very hard about how he enunciates. He reminds me of 
a cross between Willem Dafoe and yeah, Keanu Reeves. Like he's just, I love him. And I'm not saying I want him as the iron fist, but I love how rigid Mm -hmm. he is, especially early on where you're watching him. He is just so in control, just like stone. And I love it. Yeah, I get that. that. Did you know in uh, law and order special victims unit, he once played a character called T-Bone. I did not. Seems possibly like a miscasting, right? It does, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a T-bone to me. That's interesting. Yeah, he's got nothing in his Imdaba that I recognize. I'd never seen it before. <laughs> I don't even remember. I don't. I didn't watch Special Victims Unit particularly because it was gross. But uh, yeah, anyway, T-bone. You don't remember him as T-bone is what you're saying? T-bone Egypt is what he is now, though. I tell you. <laughs> uh, so his arc is interesting as you go. But uh, anyway, I like him. I found him very unusual as a casting choice. Though. Yeah, I, I mean, he's imagine. probably my favorite uh, of the main cast, those guys of the three. Without or the four, uh, I mean Colleen's obviously. I she's my favorite, but I think he's probably my second favorite of the younger cast in it. I want to save her. Let's save. Let's save her. We. I wish uh, we could, but she's in this movie. No. I'm just <laughs> okay, so let's talk about David Wenham as uh, their father. Um, so, were you familiar with him? Yeah, he's. I think he's a Harry Potter guy. Harold. Is he a Harry Potter guy? I think so. Who was he in Harry Potter? Oh, no, no. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, he was uh, a Treyu or something like that. Don't <laughs> like him. That's not right. A I actually Treyu. really like him. I just don't know if not he's here right though, for right? the role. When you imagine this role as written and you look at how he's doing it so far, as far as you've seen, it's not the actor you would imagine. <laughs> I don't even know what his role's supposed to be, honestly. Like, what's going on there? What have you seen of him so far? Well, so far, he's living in the penthouse, supposedly dead. He's apparently beholden to the hand in some capacity, but in a capacity that the hand is apparently forcing him to hang out and pretend like he's not dead. He's not aged, and he sleeps in a hyperbaric chamber of some sort. Well, and so he's running the company, and he's using his son as the mouthpiece. Right. Uh, so I see that character and I want it to be Willem Dafoe. Yeah, I can see that. As- especially given the casting of, of War Beecham, it would be perfect. <laughs> you know, like they even a little look similar. But uh, Willem anyway, Dafoe's so, already yeah. the Green Goblin, dude. Well, he was anyway. So, okay. <laughs> One of the 17 Green Goblins anyway. <laughs> so that leaves, that's right. So that leaves a few others. Um, as far as what you've seen so far, we've got Colleen Wing, mm-hmm. played by Jessica Henwick, and then of course, you know Claire Temple's come in this, right? I don't know if you've I seen, seen her yet, yet, but you know, no, but, but you yeah, know, I know she's, she's coming. As our friend Iron uh, oh. fre- frequently references, it, this is Claire Temple season five. <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a scene where I'm looking at this and thinking, if I could just have the the uh, mature audience's cut of this particular thing, um, <laughs> I would pay large sums of money for it. Anyway, related to that, uh, Jessica Henwick, Colleen Wing. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Where did this woman come from? I don't know, but I like her. She, well, I mean, well, I'll tell you, the only two things I've seen her in were uh, Force Awakens, 
she's the I recognized her. She's the one female or the Asian female uh, resistance pilot. Okay. Okay. And then also she's one of the Sand Sisters in Game of Told. She is. That's what I recognize her from. She's the main bullwhip one. Oh, man. I hated the Sand Sisters. Well, you hated their lack. I'm not going to be able to unsee that. Well, you hated their lack of their missed potential. Yeah, they just were very poorly used. Hey, man, I just there's a staple, like a half a staple on my desk here. And I was like, that's a half a staple. And then I pushed it and it went all the way into my finger. And now I'm bleeding all over the place. Hey, that's that's something you shouldn't do, generally speaking. Speaking of bleeding all over the place, uh, Colleen Wing. I mean, she is bad ass. Yes, she also is. gorgeous. And yet, like, interestingly incompetent, too. How so? Well, I mean, she's... I I understand what she's doing as far as how she's trying to teach people. But she's like, okay, these kids don't have anywhere else to go. Don't be mean to them. But I'm going to take them out into the city and beat the shit out of them because they are not tough enough. So there's, like, this weird contradiction that's totally just from a storytelling standpoint. But well, The thing is, I can be mean to them because I'm training them. You can't be mean to them. Right. They're under the what I'm doing under the protection of the dojo is I'm training them for the world. That's I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly that whole scene of them her running around uh central or uh Washington Square or whatever that is and then being uh and being attacked by them was just uh a fake out to show. Right. It's not right. really the bad guys. Attack. It was just but, that they're like, I just realized we don't have any fighting in this superhero show. <laughs> yeah, Perhaps yeah. we should adjust that. But oh man. I just I want it to be the Colleen Wing show. I do too. I think she's really great. And I don't know. I have been purposely not keeping up with the Defenders stuff, but I'm just praying that we have the traditional Miss yeah, Knight and Colleen yeah. Wing. I know I'm they're on, they're so. both in it, but I but I want to see that pairing because we will just lose our brains. She's amazing. I just really enjoy and I and I enjoy. I don't know by the time I don't know I don't want to talk too much about it because where you are in it. But anyway, I like the fact <laughs> that she is focused on Japanese traditional sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I like how she, she makes, uses her her kendo swords really regularly. Like that's how she fights. I think that's interesting. Well, they, this will be this will be I mean, this is something in a show that's really wishy washy about how they handle um, the use of these cultures and, and, and what they show you. Um, and there's a point later on in this, by the way, which is a straight up video game. And you'll, when you see it, the episode, you'll totally understand what I mean. <laughs> but, but, but what I like about her is she's very, dis- she's distinctly using, um, I, I can't quite track whether she's following the Bushido code or not, but she's there. She's, she's referenced that she lived in Japan. She's following a Japanese sword, sword fighting style and she'll be up against people or she'll be dealing with things, Chinese, and other styles, mm-hmm. and she's using this style, and it's very interesting. And that is one positive I will give this show. That, and you have not even touched on this: is they will show different fighting styles, and they will show them interacting with each other fairly consistently. Which I say I, that as as someone who doesn't practice, but I mean it, it's very obvious that they do that, and I like that. And I personally haven't touched on any of that because there's just not been much of it happening yet. You've seen him do tai chi, though. Yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him strike no, a no pose. Shoes. There's nothing to it, but 
<laughs> he might I push just, that a win. I just think it's really interesting that they've shied away from as much fighting as they have in the first few episodes like this. Have they used the Iron Fist in the episodes you've watched? <sighs> he broke down a door one time. And did, it ex- did it explode like a 90s, like he's breaking down a loft door in some li- 90s Highlander movie? Yes, like, precisely. Yeah, yeah. It, like it explodes. Yeah, right? yeah, which was cool. I'm not saying that wasn't cool, but it just wasn't, it was a little over criticism. the top because nothing else as spectacular happens afterwards. But they build it up. I mean, for people who don't. I mean, like Jean or people who understand it's coming, you're waiting for the thing to glow and you just want to see him just, just go to town. Yeah. And we have seen so many successful productions in film and TV where they imply mass and inertia and particularly the mystical conversion of potential to kinetic energy that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Like someone doing a strike and everything goes boom, you know, like they can't, you know. This type of thing, right? Whether right. it's Sebastian Shaw or whether it's him, it's the whole, here's a human hitting something and it's going to hit with the force of a Mack truck. Right. right. We've seen that. It's not hard. It's called low frequency base and they do a thing and then everything flies. Right. But instead, yeah, he, he hits a thing and it explodes like a cartoon hole yeah. that Wile E. Coyote made or something. It just doesn't, it doesn't have that that crazy base to it that no, I, I, want doesn't. I want base that's what i want, I want yeah base. every time i say that i do it with my hand i go eh, i want base well and not just base but it's like okay so then the other time he's used it so far that i've seen was punching another guy in his other in his fist to break his little oh yeah i and it was just such a waste of that power that it's just it's kind of fascinating to me that they're like, we're going to make a superhero show, but we don't actually want superheroes in it. So this is how we yeah. roll now. Do you, uh, are you familiar with a manga called Fist of the North Star? I'm aware of it, but it was, uh, in fact, I might even have like one or two of the trades, but I can't say that I've ever actually read it. But I mean, the basic, I, yeah, I don't remember anything about it, but basically it was like, if he, if he does the boom and then he'll, cause you to bleed out of every orifice violently until you die right right it was like this weird finishing move that he'd smack you and then you would just explode mm-hmm. basically internal organs would liquefy so they established with that iron fist that he can he can blow up a balsa wood door <laughs> like crazy right <laughs> so right. It, it reminds me of what i think of when i see uh very strong characters whether it's luke cage or someone else interact with people and you're wondering are they constantly holding back or are they gonna tap them and just rip their arm off right right and it was one of the things that the luke cage series did that i thought was interesting which was they showed that his strength was was a build-up like he could he could like lift something or bend something through a lot of effort he's like and he could do it right but it wasn't like the superman thing where if he like flicked his finger by accident he'd knock the, the, the brick wall down. Right. Of, right. So the iron fist is very inconsistent to me in so much as what you've seen anyway, because if he could break that wall into smithereens, then when he hits the guy's hand, the guy, it should have had been like one of those really cool things where his skull flies out of the back of his right, head. Right. And, and you still see his head and his skull face at the same time in the same frame. And instead it's just like, oh, you broke my brass knuckles and ow, my <laughs> hand kind of thing. Yeah, that's, it's that's, 
is just not the it's not the effect I expected from it certainly that's right all right. Well, so anyway, I mean, we'll definitely come back to this once you've seen the rest of it and I've seen the rest of it. And we'll do a postmortem on the show. I, I, I will say I'm still enjoying it. And eight episodes in, I, I'm uh, like you said earlier, or we, we said at the beginning of this, we have a embarrassment of riches that I have to sit down and decide, do I want to race through this so I don't get spoiled? Or do I want to go back to Legion? And do I want to go back to Expanse? We're in a good, it's a good time yeah, to really. have that kind of problem. But, uh, yeah, we need to follow up on it and see. Do you have any other thoughts on the show, or do you think... No, I mean, I'm going to keep watching it. I'll definitely watch the whole thing, and I don't think I'll hate it as much as a lot of other people I know will hate it, without question. I just... I'm capable of sitting back and enjoying dumb entertainment, and unfortunately, that's what this is. Can I say one thing, though, and that is that the... There's a really good set design component to this show. I think that the... Office designs are good. I think mm-hmm. that the um, the way he's been bouncing around between a sort of unkempt, like a, a peeling paint dojo, and then the clean office tower. I actually feel like then, the dojo's too clean. Yes, yeah, yeah it's maybe. It's like, like, then, like I expected it, the wood to be all like scarred up from countless people hitting it with wooden bokas and stuff but assume she's been doing it a long time and i think right. she just rented a warehouse though right and then the industrial se- industrial spaces and that kind of stuff seem good but especially you'll you'll see this as you go further into the show they will show some of the tropes of like some chinese symbols hmm. and you know some some sort of old old-timey stuff that you'll see and they do a good job of integrating it you saw some of this in daredevil too with madame gal's Mm-hmm. Uh, place you'll you'll see that, but I mean, I I think that there are some really great shots where they've managed to make it look old world and new world at the same time. And they did a good job, and I think that there's a strong. I'm very aware of the fact that the cinematographer is mm-hmm. going for a lot of of uh, of uh, single line symmetry, and I'm and I keep screen like uh, taking photos of scenes mm-hmm. where the symmetry is what's making that shot so effective because if he was a little off or it was a different angle it wouldn't be interesting there's a lot of symmetry which plays on i think it's deliberate and it plays Mm -hmm. on the idea that he has been grounded and that he is trying to find balance right so i've noticed that they take a lot of symmetry shots when things are in control and when things are not in control it goes way off goes way off kilter and it's Hmm. and you never see that so I I did. uh, That actually reminded me of another thought I had about it, and that is that I kind of hate their flashbacks. (laughs) The little lines, the little zigzag lines. Not just the little lines, but I feel like the flashbacks in general have been really poorly handled. Like they pop up at silly times, and they're like, "Here's forty-five seconds of him getting whipped, and then we're back." really painful monopoly memories (laughs) yeah it's just yeah it's just super odd to me that he's just like here's something dramatic and then he's back (laughs) i I don't know i just i feel bad shitting on it as much as we are because i feel like we're probably two people that are enjoying it more than a lot of other people are enjoying it and we're shitting on it. And we're—I mean, we just shat on it for like an hour. But it's never—that's never happened in Robot Kraken. Mm-mm. 
but it's good. Never. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I will, but go watch but, it. But you dude, enjoy it. But here's what's wrong with it. <laughs> but, dude, all we're doing is just, you know, talking about our hopes and dreams, man. Yeah. So the the chess scene of that flashback I thought was effective because it grounds the fact that these three kids – Grew up in an environment where they're playing together and hanging out mm-hmm. in the isolate in an isolated environment. Their parents are not around, and you see the dynamic between the three of them. I thought that was yeah. I mean, yeah, that was right. probably the best of the flashbacks. But I mean, all of the other flashbacks they they cut to the same plane scene about seven times. They do, and yeah. then they cut to the one scene of the monks looming overhead, being like, "Hello." And then it's like, look at him being dramatic in a different place other than New York. Look at him sitting here thinking about being dramatic in a different place other than New York. With lines. <laughs> With, With lines. vertical lines. Yes. Did you know that his mom flew out the top of a ripped up Learjet? Did you know that? That it happened? Three times at least. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So first impressions of Iron Fist. Missed potential, but still entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Shut, shut up about the white guy. The extremely tiny amount of what I've seen of the fight scenes are good. They're just not enough, and they're not spaced very well. That's probably my red tentacle for it so far, is just that what there is of the fighting is solid. You know, really quick, built into that is the fact that Kung Fu is not that interesting. So... Bruce Lee made but, it interesting because he was but very their, theatrical. their fists were fast as lightning. <laughs> Stop it. In fact, it was but, a little bit frightening. We were just, my wife and I were just talking, my lovely wife, we, we have that on both of our phones. It comes up often in the car. The kids sing, sing along and we laugh about the fact that it has such imagery based on certain films that have used it and certain other things that you, you feel like it's this really, really uh, energetic song but in fact if you listen to the components of the song it's really the worst of disco right it's like oh yeah you know it's it's so mellow (laughs) it's all of the imagery that it conveys and all the stuff that's appropriated it that makes it interesting right so kung fu if you look at it i mean it's like jujitsu right there's a lot there's there's not a lot of grandiose action physical action in what he's doing and there are certain productions that have made Kung Fu look very interesting from a technical level. And certainly there have been productions like the Bruce Lee stuff where he made it very theatrical right. about what he did because of speed. He sped it up and it made it everything, you know, multiple targets going very fast. But the bottom line is Kung Fu is a lot of flashy hand movements and leg movements, but there's not a lot of there there in terms of things that make that make it exciting. Right. So it's not surprising to me. That after watching Daredevil, <laughs> you see this guy and you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's not that interesting. When right. in fact, it's a very, it's a, it's a really in, impressive skill set. It's just not, it doesn't photograph well, right? <laughs> and if you take it to that, to a little further, if you think of the way the Born Identity films introduce Krav Maga to the world and suddenly everybody has that skill, right? Right. But in those first, ep- in those, that first movie and, the, and its follow up, what was so amazing about it was he's tight to the chest. He's doing all the, the handwork and he's just flipping people. Right. But it's like, he, but his torso was never moving. It was amazing because we hadn't seen that on film, but it should by rights not be interesting to watch. But it was also amazing because it. it was directed well. Exactly. It was and how it was I filmed. And I don't feel like this Jimmy doll or whatever his name is 
has I don't know what else he's done. I haven't looked him up at all or anything. But he doesn't seem to be very adept at filming fight scenes in an interesting manner. You're right. You're absolutely right. Did you see uh did you see the movie The Equalizer with Denzel Washington? I know, but I've heard I'd like it. You should watch it. It's a good example, once again, of where a, a, a very talented director and a very good cinematographer can make action scenes very intense, when otherwise, if it was done like Iron Fist, he wouldn't even care that it even happened. So you're absolutely right. It's all about the execution of it. So, so Iron Fist. Iron Fist. So let's take a little break and come back and talk about something else, shall we? We shall. Are you running a high fever? How could you conceive of something so idiotic? This episode is brought to you by Third Rail Design Lab, featuring art books, collectible 11 by 17 art prints, and commission art available at www.thirdraildesignlab.com and at a convention near you. Do you love art books? Do you love beautiful illustrations of cool characters done in that Third Rail style? Do you have a hankering for a custom commission art made to your specification? All of these things? Then Third Rail Design Lab is your new favorite sweet, sweet site. Go there today. Buy them all. So, Chris. Yes, Tom. You saw a thing that I didn't see. And that's called uh, Skull Tolu, right? Tolu Island. Something. Kong, dude. Kong. So you were you were a conga. You were alone in the theater, right? I was watching a conga. Uh, yes, for the most part. I I did have two elderly people wander in for a few minutes and realize they didn't have 3D glasses and they were on the wrong theater and left again. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you a fan of the King Kong movies? I mean, do you understand that pedigree or no? I love giant things punching other things. So, yeah, like, I, I enjoyed the Kong movies. I love Godzilla. Uh, pretty much anything involving tall things hitting other things. It's pretty... It's right up my wheelhouse there. This is a segment we call Chris Gives Us a Micro-Review of Kong, colon, Skull Island. I like the kaiju. <laughs> so, I have a question. So, were you very aware... I want you to talk about this, but I want I want to know: Were you very aware of the fact that they changed his his structure? Like they not just his, his scale, obviously, is a thing, but I mean, like it was so different from the last Kong movie. Oh yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. How he, how he acted. Well, and it's Kong has always been very bipedal human looking because there's been a human in the suit, and then and Peter so Jack Jackson's. 74 hour long epic <laughs> yes. basically just turned him into a giant gorilla sure which right. i actually really enjoy the first part of peter jackson's kong like before they get to the island and everything goes really cg and terrible looking like it's two hours right yeah, uh, yeah yeah like all of the stuff with naomi watts in 1920s new york I can watch that for hours. That doesn't bother me at all. But, but yeah, this is a very different movie. It takes place in the 70s, uh, basically at the tail end of the Vietnam War. And weird. I, saw, I want to tell you really quickly, I listened to a two-and-a-half-hour podcast on Kong Island, right, where 
where part of that was talking about the history of the King Kong movies and, you know, going back as far as far as they could go and the iterations of things. Oh, well, and, it sounds like we might as well just listen to that podcast, Tom. Oh, no. But what I want to <laughs> say is what I, what I want to say is what's fascinating to me is that I knew nothing about any of that. And I learned so much listening to them about it that I feel like I saw the Jackson Kong, like they talk about it and I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I realized I never saw it. It's all like trailers and like some other thing. Like I've never seen that movie. I have no content. I have no concept about the Peter Jackson Kong movie other than the little clips and things that I've seen. And when they start talking about how it was really weird and long and, and, and all the, the things that he changed about the, about the concept of Kong, mm-hmm. I realized, oh, yeah, I never saw that. I actually feel, but like, I, you but I feel like you might I like it for its own benefits, at least. It's... I, like 20, I like 20s and, and, and uh, Naomi Watts, but other yeah, than yeah. And, and I like, uh, and I like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tenacious D. I like Jack Black a lot. Jack Black's actually really good but, in it. Like it might be one of my favorite of his film roles. And the podcast I listened to, they just panned him so badly. They were just like, he's the, he's Some a leech on it. Just can't like Jack Black though. I mean, he literally plays a 1920s snake oil salesman in it. And he's the perfect character for that. He's a 2000. 2000- 17 snake oil he really is he's like this is music and i am an actor and people are like all right whatevs it's the 90s we'll we'll bite skull island had the best trailers in a long time they did yes they did with with the music integrated the syncopation right of Mm -hmm. like the music integrated with the imagery and like the bullets falling and the you know and all that stuff did, was there any sense of that in the actual film, or was that just really great trailer? Uh, a lot of that stuff. was trailer stuff, but they did do a pretty good job with it. Like, the direction in it was... It's just a fun, dumb action movie. There's really not a better way of putting it. Like, it's it's brightly colored. The CG's really good. I saw it in 3D, and the depth in it was stunningly good. Like, the thing that I thought was really interesting about it is that it's... John Goodman plays a filmographer, and they're going there ostensibly to map the island. But, of course, him and a couple of his scientist buddies there know that there's something else there. Um... But the They're whole... mapping with little bombs, right? Right, right. Yeah, that 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 conceit's silly. I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. They're like, let's bomb the island to draw out these monsters. But uh, the thing that I thought was really interesting is it's filmed as if it's being filmed, and mm. like normally that bothers me. Like I fucking hate it when I'm watching a movie and blood splatters up onto the camera. Right. I just don't like that effect. I, I understand that for some people it becomes more immersive. But in this, they legitimately like – like there's scenes where they're zooming through the – like um, through the sky with clouds and thunder and storms hitting. And you see the rain splashing against the uh, the camera lens. And it's done in a way that instead of like taking you out of the movie and saying, look, this is being filmed – 
it's more like you're seeing it behind the screen of John Goodman's camera. Well, it's all about the fact that he's bringing a film crew with him. Right. Right? Right. Like, Be- he has someone filming it while he's doing... Well, and Brie Larson plays research. a photographer, and they do that... She's got you're a, school you're a woman. Right, right. You're, you're a woman. But there's a lot of scenes of her shooting with her SLR with that focal square that comes up on the camera when you're taking a picture and how it comes into focus and that part changes. That part is like very prominent when it shows her looking through the viewfinder on her camera. But your name is Mason Weaver. <laughs> but you're a woman <laughs> in the 70s. What? outrageous but yeah it's it was a lot of fun it was not shakespeare by any stretch of the imagination but everybody in it's excellent (laughs) like the cast is great hiddleston's great sam jackson's doing his sam jacksoniest i mean he he basically tells the monkey to get off his damn island at one point so i don't know i enjoyed it I, i i thought highly of it I heard there's a scene where they're like, "Well, here's a here's a possible plan we could do, and maybe we just don't we don't mess with this, whatever." And he just like, "Bug eyed, Jackson stare." No, we're gonna go up the hill. And yeah, kill. yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. Like the whole thing, they're like, "Let's just get to this side and leave." And he's like, "No, motherfucker, we're gonna kill this monkey." <laughs> so he was. So his character is. It's based on the idea that he is a hardcore neocon type, pre neocon type. Who's not accepting that the Vietnam War is over? Right. And he, well, it's and not he, so much that he's he not accepting; like, and, it's that he knows there's nothing else for him once it's over. Like that, the surrender or the the seat. We didn't lose the Vietnam War; we just stopped. Stopped. Playing. Yeah. So, did, so you said that you thought Tom Hiddleston was great, and I've heard mixed feelings about his role in this. He doesn't have so, a lot to do, but he's good for what he is. My impression is he will make or he would make a very good James Bond, but he may not be the running around in the jungle type of like it feels like they should have had a Chris Pratt, but they couldn't have the Chris Pratt. So they have... I don't know, honestly, because he's he's pretty much the straight man in it. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's just a tracker that they hired basically because he knows how islands work, which is a silly thing. But, <laughs> you know, islands come with us and guide us. Uh, I mean, it's, it's right one now. of those kind I of really... movies. <laughs> he knows how islands work. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, how, yeah. now, how exactly do these islands, like, is there water all the way around them? <laughs> I really, it's going to be in the notes, man, when we do this episode. Tom Hiddleston, colon, quote, he knows how islands work. He does. <laughs> Such a great skill. Just imagine his, like, D&D. Character sheet. It's super vital. <laughs> yeah, he he he, uh, he attributed all of his work. points to islands work know how. <laughs> Characters are on a sandy beach. You don't know how you got there. You're waterlogged, and you're some of you are injured, and there are some punches on the perimeter of what your vision, and you hear some weird sounds and some weird motions in the in the trees, kind of lost style. What do you do? Tom Hiddleston steps up and says, "I know how islands work." Roll for <laughs> initiative. <laughs> Uh, well that happened okay so what about the red what about john c Riley? did he own it or was he awkward you know 
I had real concerns about Riley going in because I oh, you say. don't like the comedy guy. Usually. He is a number one fan of Robot Kraken, and you do not. I love John C. Riley. Like I have, I shit you not, I've put Chicago in just to watch his one song that he sings in it because he's <laughs> really clown. good. Uh, yes, yeah, sad clown. Uh, but in this, like, most of his real super over-the-top, like, the, ha, 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 you're gonna die stuff is in the trailer. Yeah. And his character actually, to a certain extent, is kind of the main character in the film. And his, he goes through a surprisingly strong emotional arc, actually. Chris. hmm Would you say that his character, Hank Marlowe, knows Island's? better John, or, uh, than Tom Hiddleston's character. I, I want to know. Because two island guys, he's been on the island for like 30 years, right? He, he has. Knows he knows, I think he knows that island, but I think if you put him on a different island, he'd be fucked. I see. <laughs> put him in Fiji, he's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be. Yeah, doing. yeah, but if North Survivor, Australia, or wherever this was filmed, he's like, I know this. I got it, guys. <laughs> He's the guy in Survivor that's cramping, right, on the beach. <laughs> right. Won't, won't, won't drink water. <laughs> Got it. Okay. But I love John C. Riley and everything in the trailer I was totally down with. Even the fact that he made the name for the skull. That was or pretty whatever. funny, yeah. actually. Because that's a dumbass design. We'll get to that. It's a dumbass I design. hate that design so much. That was There's my nowhere. largest complaint about the movie. There's nowhere in the evolutionary tract of any real, real or fantasy creature that would end up with a skull monster with ar- giant muscular arms and no I mean, body. It's <laughs> basically like, it was. They were basically snakes with arms. They were like if somebody had a a, a He-Man character, and like I mean, it, it's such a goofy design. I don't understand it at all. They're like if they'd at least given it like some vestigial back legs or something. But it's literally just a snake with big, giant, muscular it would be human rad. arms. That would be super rad if they had vestigial, like little, like wimpy legs behind them. Yeah, it would have been okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're not human. Many faces. I'm yeah. still on the hook for being that for Halloween, by the way. <laughs> yeah, this, unless this I'm a skull monster. Snaky arms or something. Snaky arms, man. It just looks like such like a a grade C video game you pay three dollars for. It just doesn't look. Yeah. There's nothing in the trailers. That's what so astounds me. There's nothing in the trailers that makes me think there's going to be exciting monster action on the island other than a really a- a- absurdly large Kong for a reason and snakeoids. Well, and I, I legitimately like... feel like part of it is that like they knew it was silly and they're like because 90% of the time it's filmed so you can't see the back half of it. And right. so it's just the front part that just looks like a big-ass lizard. And so I, it really does feel like they're like, uh, you guys, this is kind of stupid, but... But why would you well, Why would you go in where the big bad is something so ill-designed when it's not hard to just design a rad creature? Right. They could take any of Guy Davis's like rejected monsters for Pacific Rim and just stick them in, and it would have been amazing. Look, Tom, look. It's clear that these things were on <laughs> look, set... Tom filming <laughs> while they were doing this they couldn't just say to the guys hey skull crawlers go back home we've decided to go a different route because the guy big, holding the man, stick with the, they'll bite you the blue, 
stick with the blue blue tape on it like follow me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it in post <laughs> yeah. it's fun and i understand that half of the fun is what you don't see in the trailers right all the other creatures yeah. on the island right yeah there's some really cool stuff actually so how is brie larson because brie larson you know what's surprising is she doesn't really have she's kind of just another person in the film she's not the damsel in distress per se she does have a little yeah. bit of a kong fei ray moment but but not much right no it's, no it's... she's just another one of the guys she just happens to be super pretty she's got a camera she's a photographer she and she's is. a woman she's not a woman. she's got a man's name but she's a woman how is this happening 1970 <laughs> so what did you think about john goodman i really like john goodman in everything yeah. And I thought he was great in this. He doesn't have a ton of a part. Like, he's kind of absent during certain portions because they all get split up on the island. And where Kittles knows the islands, we kind of focus on him for a while. They're just like, this guy knows islands. Let's stick with him. There's a guy in this cast named Shea Wiggum. Do you know who that is? No. He says, like Shea Wiggum was. Well, he was born in Florida. He, uh, Shea Wiggum, is, uh, he played Cole. And I don't know if you've seen the uh, HBO series Vice Principals. Have you I seen have that? not. Get on it. He's, no. I, he's, a, he's a character actor. Do it. He's a character. Do it. He's a character actor. Look, Tom. That look. Do it. You're oh, you know what? It. I actually do know him. It. He's one of those guys that looks like other guys. Yes, he does. But... <laughs> But you got to watch on Vice Principles because he's meant to be like like the protagonist is is treating him like he's the biggest shit in the planet, and he's like a nice guy, and he will never rise to it. He's just like, oh, you know, that's cool. You're a son of a bitch. Yeah, he's, you know, well, that's fine. Man. Yeah, he is so. I like him so much from Vice Principles that when I found out that this was the guy that's in Kong Island or Skull Island, I'm like, oh, that's great. I think he gets eaten, right? Something. I don't know. Everybody gets eaten in that. Yeah, sure. Spoilers. No. Stay away. So you enjoyed it. It was a monster movie. I was. It was a fun monster movie. I enjoyed it. Did you stay for the te- the little uh, stinger? Yeah, I sit through the credits even if there isn't going to be a stinger. Just... But there was what? Yes, there was. It was pretty good. Oh, oh you're saying you you stay regardless? Yeah, like I knew Logan didn't have one, but I still watched the whole thing. I just like, I feel like, I know this is silly, but I feel like all of those guys did something. I should sit and watch their name scroll past assistant grip yeah someday i might get to be an assistant grip and mm-hmm. rosario dawson will appreciate all the studying i've done i was gonna say when have I you ever told you that i appreciate colleen wing so <laughs> um okay that's interesting so it's the monarch corporation so they set up that they're so they bring them back right mm-hmm. and they show them a video or some sort of like weird suddenly what is it like they just show me cave paintings it's like a 70s slideshow really is what it is of different other monsters there's more monsters out there brie larson and hiddleston so the two things that they're establishing with the end of this is that a they are aware of that there are other creatures 2020 Mm -hmm. godzilla versus king kong and then also uh that kong is growing by design well, Kong so is like they a can teenager throw him up. in this. Yeah, he's growing so that he will be big enough to beat the shit out of Godzilla when they meet. They match Theoretically, up, right? Yeah, 
right? I mean, they, that was the whole point of this movie was to explain that he's growing. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I the thing I really like about it is that apart from that end scene, it's completely standalone. It does not feel like it has to be connected to the other one or anything like that. It takes place in the 70s, so it's completely removed chronologically and everything else. But yeah, they set up not just Godzilla at the end. It's a very Lostian feeling, which I actually really like. The Monarch you know, Corporation like... feels like it belongs with Lost. Oh yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Oh yeah, tropical and mystery and and symbols, perfect. Yeah. So, do you think when they do the next film in this sequence, we're going to have those characters aged forward, either with prosthetics or with like a different actor and actress, or do you I think that's the last time we see them? I genuinely hope they don't. I uh, the next one's Godzilla two, and it's directed by uh, the guy that did Trick or Treat. Oh yes, and which is really interesting. I I don't know how I feel about that necessarily, but it stars. Um, it's got a really interesting cast. It has Millie Bobby Brown in it. Yes. Um, from Eleven, from Stranger Things. Oh, yes. And, God, who else is in it? There's somebody else that's interesting. Um, but I, I'm... Yeah, what was it? I can't remember. Okay, but so, here's my thing. Here's what I think is going to happen. They're going to do Godzilla 2, different cast. Mm -hmm. Godzilla fucks shit up, but he's, he's protecting humanity anyway, somehow. So then he's gone, and then they're going to do... Oh, yeah, Ken Watanabe's in it. Oh, yeah, right. And then they're going to do uh, Godzilla versus Kong in 2020, mm -hmm. right? It's already on the calendar. Right. And I think they're going to roll out in, like, the third act or something or the second act. They're going to roll out someone, either Brie Larson or someone else, in super nuclear old-timey makeup saying, no, he's our friend or whatever. And it's going to be a thing, <laughs> right? It was just like, I know apes and I know islands. And... <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> old-timey Hiddleston get them to an island I can tell you <laughs> use the palm trees for baseball bats you know <laughs> smash the helicopters stabby right, pokey so... pokey stabby pokey pokey so okay so that was uh, Skull Island yes. pretty neat I feel like I saw it you did through my eyes Tom Chris, I yes. wanted to talk about tools, digital tools. We talked about that last time. We had tools we use, both physical and digital. And I wanted to ask you, have you had newer experiences, recent experiences with digital tools or physical tools that made you think to yourself, self, I wish I had this happen last time because I would have talked about it in our previous discussion. Because here's no. your chance to update. <laughs> Incorrect. No, Tom, no. Try again. A yes? Is yes. the answer what, yes? What happened? I discovered a digital tool. Tell me. Tell me more. I want to know all about it. I want to, first time I've heard about it, and I really want to know everything about it. You surprised me? I feel like you're leading me in a direction. Do you it's know me surprise. the way Hiddles knows islands, Tom? <laughs> I know you the way I'd like to know Brie Larson and the, 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 the little Capris. But... Uh, <laughs> Actually, it was really more Colleen Wing that was more like your capris or her capris. Which one of you is wearing capris, Tom? We, there's no way to tell, really. 
It's hard to say. You're each wearing half a capri. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm now inviting Brie Larson to the table with Jessica Kenwith, something maybe? Uh, and uh, we'll talk about capris privately after the show. In the meantime, I want to know all about a new digital tool that you discovered and what it meant to you. Well, um, it's... It's hard to describe your first time with a mouse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dumbass. So I borrowed my buddy Devin, my co-host on the podcast. Uh, we I borrowed his mobile studio pro from Wacom. Wacom. Wacom, which I have a hard time so, saying that way. I like Wacom. So what um so what Tell me, tell me about this particular product. How does it work? Is it standalone? It is. is it... it is standalone. It is essentially a tablet. It runs. A, it's a full computer. It runs Windows 10, um, and it's also got the full capacity Cintiq style functionality as far as a Wacom tablet is concerned. We got a problem. What you said that you had trouble describing your first time with a mouse. Yeah. So immediately, and of course, because I, I have that journalist bent in me and I want to know more, I looked at Mouse on Sugar DVD, now apparently SugarInstant.com. No <laughs> items match your query. <laughs> so you can get on this. You can tell the world your story because... Tom, I promise you they have a bestiality filter on that website. Uh, you son of a bitch, because <laughs> I'm telling you. You type in gerbil, you'll get no response. Yeah. <laughs> You know it's false. <laughs> I'm going to type in Brie Larson. We'll see what type happens. in Judy Hops, and you might get a response, but <laughs> oh, you might also oh, get a knock on your so, door later. So gross, I don't like it. <laughs> Tell me about the wake, the Wacom or the Wacom. God, it's a Wacom, man. I don't care what they say. I know. Saying. I can't. I can't pronounce it. Wacom. It sounds like a cartoon brand of some yeah. sort. It, it totally does, like a whack-a-mole kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. He ordered his, All right, so his it's a rocket pack from Wacom. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a so it's a standalone tablet like the Surface Pro. It right? is. It's running Windows or it's or? running Windows ten. Have you used a Surface Pro or no? Uh, I used yours briefly at one. No, point. that's an i. No, 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 no. I have an iPad. So Surface Pro is the Windows based standalone uh, device. That's what Joel oh, uses. Oh, uh, I've used it very briefly, but not with a pen. Okay. Like, I used it just enough to know that I fucking hated their tripod layout and was like, screw this sure. noise. Naturally. <laughs> uh, but this guy is really awesome. Like, I have the, the 13 HD Cintiq, and this is slimmer than that. Yeah. It's a little smaller. It's lighter weight. And I adore the idea that I can just chill on the couch and draw or I can Bro. pull over a rest stop and draw when I'm on the way to a con or something. Dude, I'm telling you, it changes everything. As the guy who sold you the other week, I'm telling you, it changes. I didn't even know. If I had known at the time how fundamentally different it was to use a, a truly portable standalone device, I would have like told you, just wait. Yeah. But which is not to say that Wacom 13 is not incredibly valuable as a tool in your own shop. Absolutely. But it's different. It's different when you're completely untethered. Because yeah. I use that. I I actually use the one your whole you use. I use that on a plane 
for like 25 hours or whatever over to Indonesia mm-hmm. and I got a lot done. It's fantastic. Right. But it is something there's something very distinct about being completely untethered. Yeah, and you know, like I spend an obscene amount of time with my my Cintiq being paranoid about that fucking connector on the side of it. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm just all like, these years uh, and they still haven't figured out. It's so terrible. It's like, uh, like you move it and it goes and then you have well, to like let it figure itself back out and it just like I'm constantly paranoid that I'm going to break that stupid thing. All uh all of the current generation uh, little portable hard drives mm-hmm. have a, a type of USB connector that is this weird long. It looks like in section like a staple that you effed up when you're when you're clicking it and it smashed the staple against <laughs> right. the staple. And it, do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like yeah. it's like a weird flat and it's been smushed in. That's the the form factor of the of the connector that fits the device. And I there's some engineering component to it about spreading it out or so i don't know yeah, it makes no sense to me but it's notoriously a weak link and you can tell on all of these devices the port is the weakest link right yeah the more you yeah. wiggle it and do it so i've had three of these portable hard drives fail because the connector port where that connects to it has failed because it's too wiggly and it gets bent and it and it just doesn't work anymore. Right, and that's the thing about the the Intuos or the Wacom line that's mm-hmm. always bothered me is that they, I mean, if nothing else, you'd think that they would just they would just solidify that connection in some way, put a little plate, a little thing, a little clamp or something like that, just like make it like legit. Yeah. Even like RCA cables would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, it's just uh, the complete lack of solidity to it just fucking makes me so paranoid and the fact that it's right there sticking off the edge like that like if it was something where it's sunk into the back of it and then the cord came out whichever direction you wanted it to or something like that where you're not actually touching the actual connection when you bump it it would be fine it wouldn't bother me but it's terrible but the the mobile studio pro Instead of that, charges through any of the three USB-C ports that it has on it. Okay. So, so even does when it have it's, a battery, though? Right. Yeah, it's got it. It runs for about four and a half hours if you're oh. using it. So is it running Windows? Yeah, Windows 10. And so, what program are you using when you're using it? Photoshop, Photoshop or full Photoshop? Okay. okay. So it's straight up. A Windows machine in a tablet form, just like this. It's a competitor to the Surface Pro. Yes. Is what you're telling me. Yeah, but it has the Wacom sensitivity and, and brush functionality. Which is a huge deal, huge I bet. Huge difference. Like, it feels just like I'm drawing on my Cintiq up to my computer, except I don't have the distractions of all of the other stuff on this other screen that I'm dicking around with. The only device I've ever used that was more sensitive and more responsive than the the Wacom products was the Apple Pencil and like literally only the Apple Pencil. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that is happening, I bet that is miles away from the Surface Pro just in terms of like Microsoft reinventing the wheel. They're never going to come close to it. Right? right. So you use it for how many, like three days, two or three days? I've only had it have... since yesterday. Um, and I'll only have it until tomorrow when Devin comes over to record. So I, that'd be three days. Like I've done like, like a sketch of Stan Lee that turned out really fun. I've been playing with some coloring a little bit tonight. Uh, it basically, I just had it long enough to know that I want one. (laughs) 
you so you um so you emailed me you were like texting me or whatever you were messaging me like yeah you know i get and then like an hour later you're like look what i did and you just did a photorealistic stanley <laughs> with a chin the jay leno chin but yeah you? the chin's too big on him but it's a work in progress whatevs but you see now why the ipad pro just changed my life yeah it's the it's the couch factor and it's the sitting in the car factor it's that it's it is so easy there's a little bit of a curve at least i will say this with the ipad is that and and the reason why a lot of people fr- are frustrated with it is that you're not running Photoshop or whatever. You're using some other application. Mm-hmm. But Pro- Procreate on the iPad is an amazing tool. And if you're in your Wi-Fi network, you can also use AstroPad, and you can now connect to another Mac in your network, and you can run Photoshop directly on the iPad, which is great. But as far as, like, being remote, right. different tools... And that's what the Surface Pro has, and that's what this product has, that you can run the tool that you're most familiar with just like you're at home. Yeah, yeah. The the MSP is crazy to me in terms of that. Like, I, it boots up super fast. Like, I just wake it up, and bam, Photoshop's right there, ready to rock and roll. And, like, it's got Illustrator on it. It's It's got whatever programs you want to put on it because it's a Windows 10 machine. And so, like, if you prefer Manga Studio, do that instead. But the the thing Which I still haven't done. <laughs> yeah, right. I I need to get into it a little more too. But I the thing that really you like, described this that you spent forty five minutes doing presets and you couldn't you weren't even done. Well, what happened with <laughs> that's it how is I felt it too. I somehow managed to like disable the Wacom control panel that recognized that the device was there which it is okay. the device so it was really counterintuitive for me to fix because i'm like how does it not recognize the device is here it is the fucking device so i finally <laughs> yeah, i figured right. out how to like make it reset itself and then everything was fine but it's not my machine so i don't want to go through and like reset all of the presets to everything so the learning curve for me is that i'm using somebody else's presets on photoshop Right. So, like, when I'm drawing with Photoshop, uh, the two little clicky buttons on the on the pen itself, one of those yeah. is always uh, right-click. Yeah. And one of them is always the B button. And then I have the That'll B button. That'll drive you nuts. That'll drive you nuts on the, on the iPad Pro with Apple Pencil because there's no there are no buttons. See, so, that would kill me, yeah. Because, like, yeah. I love the fact that I can just hit the B button. No matter what tool I was using, bam, I'm back to drawing. Or if I want to cycle through it. Whereas on this one, like, he has it set up for a double-click on one and right-click on the other one. But it's not the one I'm used to being the right-click. And so it's driving me crazy in that respect. But that's, like, a learning curve just because I'm afraid to reset all of his tool sets. So. <laughs> yeah. But it's so, really nice, dude. It's a sexy machine. Uh, so it's the untethered component of it. I got to tell you yeah. how many times I sit down with my lovely wife to watch some show and she's out in a minute and a half. And then I'll just, <laughs> I'll just work on something on the thing. And then like the same thing about traveling my, you know, if I have the occasion to take my MacBook pro with me, I'll take it mm-hmm. and I'll do file management, whatever else. But if I want to do artwork, I'll take the iPad Pro and my little keyboard and my little Apple Pencil, mm-hmm. and I can not only get all my work done, but when I'm done, I can just 
bang out some illustration work that I was doing. Right. I think that's amazing. The untethered nature of it is it's it's the it's the pregogenic leap, as an author once wrote. It changes everything for me as for as far as my process goes. And and once you do, it's not like every time I want to color or ink or even digitally ink something, I have to go to the iPad. I will use the Cintiq if I happen to have the means to do so. Right. It's all about having the ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And there like, and there are trade offs. It's just crazy to me. Like I was just sitting up at the table earlier tonight, and I'm like, I should just draw instead of checking cracked on my phone or whatever. And so I just like grabbed it and started drawing instead. It was just, it's crazy the way that it could change my entire workflow because right now, if I want to do anything, I have to come out to the studio, sit down, turn on the computer, turn on the heat, turn on the lights, get the dogs out here. And then I can start drawing. And instead it's just like, oop, oop. Oh, look, I'm watching iron fist and I'm drawing. It's crazy. The difference it makes. My problem is that, and we've talked about this many times, but I, I can't do art while watching something unless it's a very specific type of show. Mm-hmm. If it's something I'm interested in, even if it's something I've seen a million times, I'll get distracted. It has to be very specific shows or things. If my wife is watching Once Upon a Time, I can <laughs> I can work on it. Right. If if I've oddly enough, if I'm watching Workaholics, which is great, it's a I love it, but. I can I can work on the iPad and glance up. What I'm hearing is is most of the show, right? Like like right. I can look up and see what's happening, but I can follow along by mostly looking down. There's a lot of shows that I can't do that with. Mm-hmm. Even like regular shows I've seen several times, Always Sunny or whatever. I can't I can't just I can't just draw and listen. See, and for me, can, that's like yeah. second nature for me because that's how I do my shop work. I have a TV show going while I'm doing my shop work. So, yeah. and, and part it. of it is that I'm okay with not being 100% invested, which is why on this show, if we're reviewing something, I often try to make sure I've watched it within 24 hours because I just, it's in and out. I just don't, I don't invest myself in it as thoroughly because I am used to doing other stuff while I'm watching shows. It's it's weird. Like, uh, I love Coen Brothers and I love Wes Anderson. It's particularly Wes Anderson because of the use of dialogue. I could play – I listen to that just driving, right, mm-hmm. on road trips. I could play a Wes Anderson film uh, and I could draw to it only if I couldn't see the screen. But right. if it was on screen, I would get sucked into it. <laughs> And right. a good friend of mine is a good friend of mine, my tattoo artist. He, when he's doing the big pieces that he has to illustrate to show the client to get approval to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like a really big piece, he'll run shows that he loves, and and he'll draw right on those nights. He'll just mm-hmm. work on it, and and we constantly talk about that difference because he can do that. He can run a show that he's never seen before, listen and look up while he's working. Mm-hmm. And if I put on a show I haven't seen before, I have to watch it. I can't. I can't split my attention like that. And yeah, it's Devin's frustrating because I have no time. Too. I would like to do that. Yeah, Devin, it drives Devin crazy that I can do that. He's like, how do you do that? I can't just sit and watch it. I can't work while I'm watching a show. I have to just sit and watch the screen or it, it just bothers me like crazy. So, speaking yeah. Of, uh, well, speaking of Devin, uh, you didn't – you kept from me – what an accomplished artist he is. He's great. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he oh. he doesn't do a lot of art because he's in school for art. And so he, a lot of his art stuff 
is dedicated to that aspect of it. But he's he's far enough advanced now in his schooling that he's able to move his interests into part of his actual classwork. So he's been posting a lot more of his stuff now. So Devin, for listeners who the three percent of our total listener base who don't follow the deeply dapple dispatches yes. podcasts. De- Devin is one of your uh broadcasting partners. So his on his Instagram account, he posts a lot of imagery that is like illustrations of eighties stuff or like weird genre not nostalgia stuff. He's great. He's his his approach to a lot of them really impresses me. It's interesting. It's a, it's yeah. He he has a different way of looking at them that I think is really cool. I challenged him a few months ago. I was like, why aren't you doing the TRD art jam? Which you can find on uh, Google and on the forum and on Facebook. <laughs> contribute. And I said, why aren't you on that jam? And he's like, I did one in 2009. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But man, comma, speaking of your art and your experimentation with Devin's product, comma, I thought it would be a good time to update our shipyard segment and talk about what's been going on in our world of illustrations and con life and our life as small press artists. What's been going on with you? The segue. <sighs> I have not been doing a lot honestly like obviously i no, no 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 i have finished yeah. one piece in the last three months and that's Incorrect. because i've been working obsessively on this princess bride poster that i did and amazing it turned out great i'm overjoyed with how well it turned out uh i basically i decided princess bride's my favorite movie it's my rainy day movie i put it in anytime i'm feeling like shit and I found out that Wallace, Sean, Chris Sarandon, and Carrie Elwes were all going to be at FanX. I was like, I need something for them to sign. So I dove deep and did this obscenely detailed piece with, oh god, I think it has like 39 individual scenes in it. So it's, if I interpret this correctly, I haven't seen it in person, just online, but so you're chronicling the whole journey you're doing the narrative of the entire movie in one poster right sort of uh it's not really chronological so much as location based sure um basically i i modeled it off of an old uh reading monthly reading chart that i used to do as a kid the library had this giant like fantasy map and you'd map your progress throughout the month of how many books you'd read. And it had, uh. like, this big castle at the top and, like, water and dungeons and little villages. And the more books you read, the further you got along the pathway. And so this I'm, is my life. Yeah, right. And I just – I had such a nostalgia for that that I wanted to do something sort of similar to that. So I just basically kind of mapped out all of the major scenes in Princess Bride – and found a way to fit all of them together in one poster. And did you uh, did you draw an infinity cloak? Uh, the Holocaust cloak. That's what I meant. Yeah, there's there's a scene of him pushing him on the wheelbarrow with him lit on fire. That's so amazing. Yeah, the the amount Ever of details have... a little insane. Like I did most of the stuff uh, traditional sketched out uh, with pencil, 
And then I transferred it over and did all the inks digitally. And I did each of them individually and then compiled them. And I hit that same problem you hit with with Finity, where there's a little bit of a disconnect between the levels of detail. Yeah. But it looks good enough that I really didn't give a shit. <laughs> As someone like, someone like me who has small children going to sleep, spends a lot of time on their phone, it was amazing to watch the progress of this this project because you, you you started with posting to facebook and other sources going hey has anybody like published posters and like <laughs> how does that work and then you're like well, I, i'm thinking about here's a thing and here's another thing oh, by the way zoom out here's the whole thing yeah. that i'm doing and i loved watching it because you know i'm a process junkie so mm-hmm. i loved watching you slowly laboriously go through this and you're like i have a high grade fever <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I'm I'm trying to I'm time I'm trying to brush ink you know, Andre the Giant right now. It, it was amazing to watch you pull this thing off. And my one question is, you you put a couple of uh, finished pieces together and you said which of these should I print as a poster? Mm-hmm. And you said you know I have a full color version saturated. I have a very diluted saturated version like mm-hmm. desaturated, old timey book style. And then theoretically I could do it black and white. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, you asked people what they thought, and thousands of people responded to this, and they were like, do this. No, do that. It was just like the elections and all that other stuff. Yeah. Very disparate and lots of divisive, ex- weirdly racial things. <laughs> that what I want to know is, what did you ultimately print when you took it to Fan, uh, to, uh, fan X? Well, luckily, like, I do all of my prints locally. And Nikki, my printer, uh, she's fucking rad. And so I wrote her, and I was like, dude, I've got this project. I know time's time. I'm going to tell her you said What's that? I'm going to tell her you said that. Good, dude. She's awesome. Uh, she's... Uh, and I was like, dude, I've got a super tight timeline. I know you guys have other projects. Can you still manage to get me some test prints? So she ran off some 11 by 17s and a full 24 by 36 of the two different styles. And just so I could see what they looked like. And it's funny. The the desaturated storybook story style looks yeah. better in the 11 by 17 one. But hmm. the full poster looks better with the fully saturated bright colors. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's... Why do you, it's, think, that, why do you think that is? I Honestly, I, I just think that the details are a little clearer in the desaturated version. So in the smaller format, it's easier to see stuff in it. Makes sense. But yeah, I like I didn't expect that. I thought I would actually like the larger desaturated poster better. But I ended up having them sign the fully saturated version. And I, I mean, it turned out great. This is the first time I've ever I've ever printed my work this size outside of like my convention banners, which don't really count because they're like low, blah blah. They're like fifty DPI or whatever. But I was pretty impressed. I think they they turned out really nice. They're pain so, in the ass to take to and from conventions, but they turned out really pretty. So that's interesting because this is possibly the first. Is this the first time you ventured into poster production as a deliverable or no? It is. It is. I mean, I've obviously the eleven by seventeens are sort of poster e, but doing and a I full love them. Twenty four by thirty six is just insane, dude. Like it's it's big enough that 
I have no way of mailing them right now. Like, I actually, like, Carrie always loved the poster enough that he actually asked for a copy of it for his own home. I want to talk about that because most of the time, at least in the, in the number of conventions that you and I have done together, come to a convention near you <laughs> to see us, buy all our products, get some signatures. So... In, in in all the conventions we've done together, it you know it's a hard it's a hard sell to go like go stand in line to get a signature with right. from, a, from an actor or something when you you should be manning your booth. You had like this miracle experience, right? I mean, that was like yeah, amazing. It was, it was really great, and you know, like it was conceivable. In fact, like <laughs> it was this perfect confluence of things too. Like we just happened to have a long time fan of our product that we ran into at that terrible Christmas show I did. And her name's Andy and she's totally awesome. She used to come by all the time just to say hi. And she loves our stuff and she was like, are you guys going to do Fanex? If you guys need to help at your booth, let me know and I'll I'll be there and help. So we we texted her uh, for Fanex. I was like, dude, are you going to be here Friday? Because we'll get you an exhibitor badge and you can help us run the table and stuff. So she came in, helped us set up. She helped us man the table so that I could go see these three guys. And we also managed to kind of make a fan of one of the ground floor managers of the vendor's floor. And they get these passes that allow them to kind of jump to the front of the line for certain things. And oh, yeah. she's like, dude, if there's ever a celebrity you want to hop up to the front of so you don't have to wait in line for, let me know. And I went over to see Carrie Elwes's line, and it was a fucking, like, three-hour wait. Massive, Chris. massive line. And I was like, hey, uh... Chris. Yes? Our subscriber list has just plummeted because you skipped the front of the fucking... Damn line. straight I did. I used... My actually, I didn't get to the front of the line. They get to a certain point towards the front. They like I still have to wait in line to get in, but they're I, you know, Fanex is kind of weird like that. Like Wizard Worlds, they give you a ticket that they're like, Hey, artists are busy, we know you have to get back to your table. Here's one ticket that you can use to go see a celebrity and jump right up to the front. But Fanex is like, nope, screw you guys. You're general admission. You can't even go in the VIP line and wait. And so for her to be able to do this was huge. I I would never have been able to meet him otherwise. And, like, I got in there, and he was absolutely enamored with this poster. Like, he stood there and looked at it. He gave me a fist bump. He shook my hand. He gave me a hug. (laughs) I was so funny. Like, like I didn't pay for a a selfie with him. He actually asked if he could get a selfie with me. Chris, I have a question. Yes. When he asked you for the... for the poster, right? Mm-hmm. He said, send me, send me a copy of the poster. What did you say? <laughs> Incorrect. That's pretty much what Incorrect. I said the entire time. No. 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 You said, as you wish. Ah! You're terrible. No, I mean, it would have been. Yes, that's precisely what I said. And you would have someone YouTubing it or like, well, you did it. You're like, as you wish, Carrie Elowes. Dude, I was like, next. fangirling so bad it was ridiculous. And it was funny because, like, I brought the the smaller ones. And I was like, hey, I have a, an 11 by 17 print of it. And he's like, do you have it in the larger size? Because I, I would love to put this up on my wall, but the larger size looks so much nicer. I was like, oh, uh, I can send you one, dude. 
<laughs> I can get eight feet wide if you want. That. Yeah, right. I'll I'll send it to you. The Italian movie poster that I have sized. That's like six feet wide and twelve feet tall. <laughs> my only my only uh, similar experience was uh, with uh, Jorge Garcia from Lost, and I did a. As you've seen, I did, I did an X Men, an old timey turn of the century carnival based, of course, right. X Men uh, picture with. Colossus and Kitty Pride, and I based it off of Jorge Garcia and his and his girlfriend. Of course, I did, and <laughs> so and so I sent it to him, and I said, "Hey, check it out, you know, comma, this is what I did." And I sent him, and I sent him a copy, and he and he really liked it. He was like, "Oh, this is a this is great," and I sent him the original, and so he put the pencils, the inks, and then the full color as a as a as a triptych. And he and he framed it and put it in one of his houses. That's so and awesome. He, one of one of his houses. Yes. And he, and he said he loved it and he sent back a thing and and you know to me and now granted the difference is <laughs> I sent it to him and he happened to love it which was great he could have thoroughly not loved it right but I, I enjoy the idea that my art is on his house and I like the idea and I like it that he appreciated the fandom like he I liked it he liked it it wasn't just a lost illustration but it was a it was a it was a comics world thing that happened to have him in it that happened to be from a, some totally random artist, and he appreciated that being a comic nerd that he is. Right. But you went to this convention. You just walked up to the thing with your weird elitist front of the line bullshit that alienated all of our <laughs> Fuck readers. Fuck you, man. Fuck. And Elway's Elway's and stuff are like, dude, give me eight feet tall. In acrylic, I'll give you thirty thousand dollars for it, and you're like, "Nah, dude, just take this poster." Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. How awesome is that? And on top of that, Elway's is jump change, but inconceivably, the Sicilian to me is interested in who else you gave it to or you talked to. <laughs> well, I did I, you show him that? I gave the the eleven by seventeen to both uh, Wallace Shawn and uh, Chris Sarandon, and they were both really cool, uh, very different. Uh, oh, how so? Chris Sarandon's kind of a little, a little more subdued, a little standoffish, but he was still like what? super friendly and gracious. How could he be standoffish and gracious? I don't gracious. I don't believe it. Well, gracious is gracious is a different thing. Uh, you yeah, don't like yeah, Elvis right. people at all. Well, he like like he wasn't like he was like hanging out and grabbing your shoulders and leaning over and stuff, but he was like very friendly and kind of like talking to, to your girlfriend's dad kind of thing. That's weird. Where He's like, my... there's a, a, like a slight awkwardness, but it's still really charming at the same time. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how to describe it to you, man. It seems almost inconceivable. What you tell me. Oh, you're so terrible. Why do I, why do I even talk to you? This is I our why. last episode, everyone. Best pals. <laughs> you never had it so good. To, to quote Christopher Walken, you never had it so good. To quote Tarantino, pretty I don't. You never had it so good, comma, and, you, and it'll never be this good again. I don't think you're allowed to quote Christopher Walken without doing a Christopher Walken impression. He didn't. So, all right. You, you never had it so good. <laughs> and it ain't going to be this good again. Uh, introducing a new segment. New segment, everyone. Walking. Tom goes out walking. walking for anything but the right amount of grapefruit tequila mixed with. Oh, 
I, I, the so, new segment is officially going to be dubbed Tom Goes a Walkin'. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to pull it together. <laughs> it's a podcast. It's so bad, but I love it. <laughs> what, is what, you, what you love about it is it's, it's picture perfect. It, it on, absolutely is. Almost, it, I feel like Christopher Walken's right here on my lap. <laughs> so... Speaking of because you're walking on your lap, you posted a photo of your sweet, sweet pin that you did on your on your Kickstarter, and you made a spiral of an, an, like an infinity number of pins. <laughs> yes, and I love that image. I'm such it's a so wrong, but geek it's so right. about that, dude. Like all of those pins, when they come, I get the the backing cards printed elsewhere because it's way cheaper. And then when they show up, they're all in these tiny little Ziploc bags individually. Fuck those bags. Yeah. And so fuck those bags. Like I just sit there and tear them in half and pull the pins out. Then I have to pull the backings off of all of them, then put them on the card and put the backings back on. And so why not put them in really fun designs while I'm doing it? <laughs> I, you said that it was like Space Madness or whatever to put them on the backers yourself. And, and I, I had to think – so I've not done that because I have not made the pin that we promised we would make. But sometimes I put things in my cubicle. <laughs> it's just close second. It's a close second. <laughs> and you put the thing in. I, I found something I could order on Amazon.com that you find a fine distribution of largely Chinese-based products. I put the thing in the in in the like the weird fabric wrapped panel of my cubicle and. Granted, I work in an environment where I have six people. It's not like one of those seas of telemarketers or anything. But I do have a cubicle. It's fabric wrapped. I put the thing in, and it's impossible to get it left right. And so I imagine you trying to, like, put all these little hats level in the little things. <laughs> and how you do it without whiskey, I don't know. Probably you do it with whiskey. I usually so. do everything with whiskey. You also usually ask me what's going on in my world with art and illustration and small press stuff. Do I? You do. You ask this all the time. Hey, Tom. And here we are live. Live. Hey, and hey, you don't even hey Tom. Tom, listen. Hey, listen, Tom. What are you working on? Yeah, whatever, man. Mr. Convention Superstar with your Carrie Elway's I Want a Big Poster. Attitude. Hey, Tom. What are you working on? What you drawing? Not a whole lot, really. Just, uh... <laughs> Our next segment, then. <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole lot. <laughs> Actually, that would be a great segment. Not a whole lot. <laughs> All right. So, yes, I've been doing some illustration. Chris, I'm working on a book. Illustrations. That sounds so fancy. So, you know, I'm 100% behind this getting my... The, getting the third rail source books out uh, sometime this year. I'd love to get them out before June, before our first two conventions that we're doing together, but probably will be September. But anyway, so there's a number of, of characters that we had from the previous source books or that have never been published that were, you know, older and needed to be redrawn. And so I've been doing that. And I've been drawing them up in pencil and then I've been scanning them just in case I wanted ink them and color them in the iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. It's been super fun. I've loved it. But what I want to talk about is brush pens. Because last time we talked, I barely 
scratched or rather brushed the surface of brush pens and now (laughs) son of a bitch so now i have a little more experience with it and it's interesting because i don't know what to make of this it's a it could be a psychological thing it's a brush and a pen and a pen and a brush no no pine pineapple pineapple pen no here's the thing so i got that medium medium grade which is about 0.5 in their range uh brush pen it's not the pentel that you use it's the uh, kuratake that i've decided to pick up kuratake racist inappropriate kuratake inappropriate so all of those march of robots illustrations that i did by the way if you love them you can pick up the wrong robot series of coffee table books at thirdrealdesignerab.com and you will love them and you will tell all your friends how amazing those books are. They Here's are really thing. awesome. I can now that I, I think I have it's them. True. You do. And so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I started uh, doing some illustrations this March for March of Robots on Instagram and I started... Oh, March. March. I got that now. I just got that. March of Robots. March. April the month. month. Like so the robot, yeah. So I had this brush pen, <laughs> and it's sort of their medium grade. You son of a bitch! This medium grade. Don't try to derail me on this story. I just didn't realize. That's all. Medium grade. It's a brush. And as I work, and I'm trying to work in that scale, which is approximately 1.5 times posted, right? Mm-hmm. Three by three, maybe. And <laughs> it's really hard to get that detail consistent right like i'm like it's i'm smooshing it and you and i've talked about this a million times as well as on the podcast it's like you watch these guys post these videos and they're just like and it's perfect and i go and do it and i'm like you know like i can't yeah there's this weird learning curve uh to brushes that you have to realize that you have to like you can't just run it across the paper the way you do a pen it's weird Shut up, you. My point is, even being consistent in your variable pressure, it's still very hard because it's angle-based. And really, the problem is, is that it's very soft, not that it's very hard. Fuck you. It's also <laughs> whiskey. Whiskey doesn't help. But you are the one that told me last time that you, at some point in your formative years, before you became famous and always was like, give me a poster and wrap it around my torso and tape it. You That's not how you put a poster up, dude. On Elway's you do. You have to tape it around, <laughs> around the abdomen. His abdomen now is more softer, but you imagine the 80s abdomen or whatever, the 90s abdomen. So, I don't know. He looked pretty good, I got to say. Yeah, he, he does. And he was wearing a leather jacket. I looked like I was three times as large. Wasn't Carrie Fisher at one of the conventions that you and I were at? We were like, hey, we should go talk to her. And we're like, yeah, I have time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, she was at Rose City. You were like, she's Carrie Fisher. She's no Carrie, always. But it'll be, we'll have time. <laughs> so, brush you, pens. So, so, so with the brush pen, the up, son is, of a bitch. No, no, you're implying this is a perfectly normal podcast with a perfectly normal range of focus and the whatever. 
issues. So, so the thing is, you said it was softness, and I think it's angle. So, I noticed that I have certain angles at which point I'm applying the brush, and if I change it, I can get the really fine line. But the, at my normal angle, it's like every time I turn it, it's like a really thick line. It's very hard to overcome that. So I went, like we said last time, I ordered the all the smaller grades of that pen, and I got them, and they were all that weird foam tip. Not the brush, it's the foam tip. And it was sort of a letdown because if you use any of those, you're fine because it's not it's not uh angle specific what you're right. doing. Right. It's like just a softer pen, basically. Don't you challenge me about my beverages, man. You and your like weird like I'm gonna have high C drinks with like what was it, like ecto cooler and vodka or whatever it was Perfect. you were having at one time. You not you fell on the cabinet. Give me a break, man. So, <laughs> working with the Kurataki brush pen, I found that it was very hard to make consistency with that medium grade brush. Mm-hmm. However, when I went to the smaller ones, it was too easy. So, what I figured out was the big thing was the leap from ordered ordered inking versus like sort of experimental inking. And so, once I accepted that, I found that I was more fun to like struggle with the brush pen than it was to get like a consistent line weight with the other pen. So I've had a hell of a time. It's been super fun using them. Um, It's, I mean, by no means the same as my other stuff. It's very sort of loose, but it's fun. Super fun. It's super fun because it's challenging. Yes. Now you use the Pentel and I haven't had, I haven't picked that one up. I don't know how, how similar it is to mine, but I need to try it. So I think you'd like it. I, I I snagged a Kurataki too. Uh, Did that's you? the the standard brush one, but I think it's different than the one you have. We'll have, no, to, we'll have to post pictures and compare what we have. You can't tell because they don't put any numbers on the thing. It's just like you know, cut a kind of, you don't know what yeah, they're saying. Right. I I got all the I got five different ones and I can't tell them other than the color apart. Right? So it's not <laughs> helpful. And the colors are like gradations of desaturated colors. So it's like, is it semi fuchsia or fully fuchsia? I don't right. even know. What the... <laughs> so I it's my problem with good target pants, but so anyway, I've been doing that. Also, more on the source books, which I've been doing. Also the third rail art jam is still going. We did you know? Did you know that the theme for the whole month of March on a podcast? It's coming out in April. The theme was <laughs> weapons, bladed weapons, melee I, weapons. I did range weapons, forks. ballistic weapons. It's been fun. Forks used viciously. The most important component of this is that in April, when you hear this podcast, there will be a new series of jams, and I would recommend getting on it and drawing something for it. You don't have those ready? Including Devin. I haven't decided, but by the time this posts, I will have known because I will be in Jakarta, Indonesia, and I will not be able to be as attentive to it on a daily basis as I would normally would. It's going to be an amazing jam. It will be huge. Whatever it is, you'll love it. So we'll post it in the timestamps if anybody wants to know what it's going to be. And most importantly, you will do it. And you will tell all of your friends, even the ones that don't normally draw, you'd be like, you know, Grandma, just 
work on the TRDL RGM because it's there. It's on Facebook. You should do it. My grandma's dead. Do you, <laughs> that would be oh, fucking amazing. God damn. Like, she can't use like, a brush pen for shit. Using fucking like pancreatic fluid as your, as your ink. It would be amazing. I'm pretty sure those are all dried up. It so, was years ago. <laughs> so, like it's Idaho. It's going to be like weird like sediment. Like, so here's my thing, Chris. I want you to tell me, give me a jam suggestion for the month of April by the time this airs, and I will put it in. Beards. Beards. Beards is a segment. It's one of the four options for the April TRDL art jams. I expect at least 300 entries, possibly 330 or 333 entries. And you can you can consider that actual men with beards or... or men that lesbians have as their husbands to make people think that they're not lesbians. Chris, have I told you that when my buddy Blake, a future guest on our podcast, Mm -hmm. when my buddy Blake, also bald, also bearded, Mm -hmm. when he and I wandered the streets of San Francisco, California with our children, people will like give us They'll, like, get us the best seat in a restaurant or something. They'll, like, get us ahead of the line. They'll give us a great seat. We just love what you're doing. And then they (laughs) walk away. And it took us a while to figure it out that they realized that they thought we were a super bear couple. That's awesome. Not just a bear couple. Super bear couple. And, you know, had our our children and we were just living the lifestyle. Did I tell you about the time my, my wife went to a romance writer's convention? What? My wife went to a romance writers convention one time because she writes sure. uh, historical romance novels, and sure she met her friend there, who they'd only met yeah. online previously. And her friend loves beards; like she's just absolutely obsessed with them. But her husband right. can't grow a beard. So hmm. when we went into this crowd of of romance writers, my wife proudly presented me in front of this writer and said. Look, it, I brought my beard with me. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Do you want tea? <laughs> That's amazing. So now I'm going to have to refer to you. You're going to refer to me as your beard, I think. I win, right? Right? Uh, so between I'll the be, two of us, Devin's got a better beard than either of us. The fuck Devin, man? Where has he been? What has he done? He's, merman. he's been growing he's, he's beards painted, in a cave. He's he's painted merman is what he's done. <laughs> I don't think so. Done. Like actually like body painted merman? That's interesting. Totally different. Sugar DVD. Now sugar update or whatever it was. Sugar instant. <laughs> so, Chris, I have a question. You were just recently at a convention, a place where people who enjoy genre stuff gather to buy goods and services tell me about it how did it go oh fanex that's right uh it was you know it was one of those shows apart from my experience with the princess bride stars it's hard for me to even really like do much of a report on like my wife and i did like a 30 minute report and most of it was just us bitching about our hotel room because it's one of those shows that's so busy you just work the entire time and it's it was just a two-day show so like we got there had to be set up by 10 a.m friday and we were broken down by 
10 p.m. Saturday. Hmm. So it was oh, because it was fast turnover. It's that Sunday thing. Yeah. Well, it wasn't so much that as the fact that uh, the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, where they have Fanex, was connected to is connected to like their Vivint Event Theater uh, arena area, and they yes. were hosting March Madness there as well that weekend. What's a March Madness? Uh, the the college basketball sequence thing. What's that about? Why would anyone care? Uh, well, those those people that are into the sport, sport, go sport. Uh, go sport. They had like seven games over that weekend, and too many games. All of them were sold out, and people were scalping tickets for obscene amounts of money on the street corners. And they have an agreement with the parking garages that after a certain time at night, you can't get into the parking garage unless you have a ticket to the sport game. Did you know that Peter Cook was listed as the impressive clergyman in the Princess Bride MDB page? I wondered because he was impressive and he was a clergyman. Yes. That tells you a little something I want to know. That tells you how much I care about March Madness. Tell me about FanX. I want to know, did you make bank? Was it enough to set you up? Oh, considering it was a two-day instead of a three-day con, we made more than we did the previous year. But mm-hmm. we are still so in the hole, signing up for cons and everything. And with my dog being sick for the last fucking two weeks... That like the money disappeared like that. <laughs> my my mother's uh, my dear mother's puppies. One of them has been sick at the same time. Your puppy has been sick, and so I'm surrounded by sick puppies. Yeah, everywhere I turn on my so on my phone, it's like sick puppies. It's terrible. Yeah, ours is I, ours is, is on steroids, and she's they think it's an autoimmune disease of some sort, but it might be a lymphoma. And they really can't tell unless she gets better. If she doesn't get better and she gets worse, then it's probably a lymphoma. And so it's one of those things where we literally just have to continue feeding her pills and hope she gets better instead of worse. And I feel like she is getting better, but it's hard to tell because the steroids have their own special side effects as well. They sure do, yeah. Chris, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for bringing this podcast down into the bottom. I want to thank you for being a friend. Emotional. Listen, I think about your puppy on a regular basis, and I think about the fact that you are the type of parent of a puppy that would go through the work of trying to make that puppy comfortable and healthy and doing what you can when times are tight. And it's tough. It's really tough. You get it like the worst possible timing for her to be sick for us because it's like there's five cons that I would have been would have paid for already that I just can't afford to right now and so I just kind of have to cross my fingers that they don't get booked out by the time we have money and like our next show we're doing is just a tiny little dinky con in Salem so that's, mm. it's not like we're going to come home with bank from that one but oh well that's alright we will survive we got into Phoenix we'll Comic Con, which was kind of exciting. Sweet. And, yeah. you know, you and I have four cons together this year. Do we really which have is that a rec- many? No, we don't. But uh, we have... <laughs> we have. Uh, I was thinking it was three, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think so. Or Heroes two. and villains. Heroes <laughs> and villains in June, right? Heroes and in villains, Portland. yeah, in Portland, the fine, the fine town of Portland, comma Oregon, where we discovered beer and pizza and weed are very plentiful. And donuts. And donuts. We, we also, did not ingest the donuts, but we will this time. We saw them. Yes. Also, uh, we have. The wait a minute. So wait, do we only have two? No, I think it's actually four. Because we have Rose City, we have Heroes and Villains, we have Wizard World Sacramento. When's that one? June. Ah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's on the calendar, so my wife has to let me go. So that's (laughs) and of course she's like they they put me on a big case and I'm going to be gone all weekend and whatever else. I hope this doesn't conflict with your thing. And I'm like it precisely (laughs) conflicts with my thing. So (laughs) they have an issue. So we'll spend, you know, like whatever it is, three hundred dollars in in childcare services at the time that I'm gone. Right. How much money will I make at the con? At least four dollars. Three dollars. Three dollars. <laughs> so anyway, we have more convention appearances together than we've ever had before. Yes. Would you not say that's true? This is the truth. And we have more content than we ever had before. Content is a professional term for stuff that we can sell. Contenty stuff, yes. Uh, I am super stoked about it. And also, another thing I'm stoked about is that as I've encouraged you in the past, and you're finally doing it, you have started actually working on convention sketches that are amazing. You just <laughs> did one. You showed me. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's a convention no. sketch done after the fact, but yes. It's still amazing. It's it's delayed amazing, but it's pretty rad, and it's a good reminder that, you know, even though the pressure of doing it, you know, at the table is tough, especially when you're hawking your goods like you are with your, you know, whatever. But the the idea that you could take that home and do it and get it back, it's not tedious, right? It's exciting. It's fun. And you did a great job on that piece. I loved it. Yeah, it turned out I want, fun. I want to validate you for did that. You, did you translate it? Uh. No, I did not. Well, it was a it's Run a con sketch of Duke I get it. from Ecstatics, and he speaks in a Dupian language. Is there really a translator for Dupe? Yes, there is. You want to know is what it, that says? It, so it's him holding a coffee he, cup. And it just says thumbs up. Yeah, he's got his thumbs up. The words below it says, coffee makes me dupe. Yeah. It's not appropriate. <laughs> you said it's not appropriate for children. <laughs> On my end, I've been doing a lot of illustration for the source books. I've done a few of the jam stuff. And then also I was contacted by a company that does videos on YouTube demonstrating science concepts. Ah. of audio and video. And so we've been negotiating about whether or not I will help. My time is very limited. As you know, I'm a professional in another industry. So my comic art. And uh, creative illustration work is a side project. Not that it's not 100% important. It's just a thing. And so we're talking about it. We may do it, and I may just produce or or assist in getting someone else on board to do it. But um, that could be super fun. Hmm. Also, uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I have uh, submitted options for some panels on a couple of the conventions I've been doing this year. I don't know if it's going to happen because I haven't done it before. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why you give me a panel, but if you do, 
Maybe they've listened to this podcast and know you like to talk. <laughs> Very likely possible that they do. And so I'm ready to do that. And uh, you'd like to guess, Chris, what subject I proposed for a panel. Uh, what would you say? You were supposed to have done to create a source book for something before. How to create podcasts. You're, you're an embarrassment to us all, really. Our podcast numbers just plummeted while you were talking. It's impossible. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am not at my best right now, okay? <laughs> you have a hedgehog in your ear. My daughter is old enough to read, and so she looked at my phone while we were playing Go Fish with oh, Marvel. I'm going to have to keep that in Mar- mind. <laughs> Marvel Tops. Marvel Tops little, uh, or no, Funko uh, playing cards. And uh, she came over to sneak an eye at my cards to cheat, like a son of a bitch. <laughs> she looked at my phone, which is next to me, and she's like, oh, so, you know, like, and she started reading what I was, what you and I were <laughs> messaging about the show. So, no, incorrect. Are you sure? That was your best guest. Yes. <laughs> you're wrong. So, you're wrong. So, I proposed that I would do a panel about redesigns. Redesigns. Oh, right on. That's a good thought. There's so many. Yeah. So there's so many different ways of approaching that. The clean slate redesign that I do sometimes, like it's like someone told you a description that you try to figure out something based on that description or the sort of upgrade, which is like taking an existing character and sort of upgrading them or redesigning them for a more modern approach. Um, There's a lot of variants on that. I gave a lot of content. I will get precisely zero panels this year, but I'll tell you what, it would have been sweet if I did. And if hey. I do, and if I do do them, they were awesome. Hey, we'll we'll see if we can get in some anyway. So yeah. we'll, we'll see, man. Well, anyway, so that was super fun. I tried. I gave it. A, I gave it my all. Yes. I yeah. I've so, done just the one panel so far, but I. I think I have a couple of others that are tentatively confirmed that I haven't like fully even started thinking about yet, but they're kind of fun. What was the panel, what was the panel you did? Uh, it was an HP Lovecraft one. Specifically, I don't remember what it was called. Like, which convention was that? Uh, Portland. I was mm-hmm. on there with three HP Lovecraft scholars. A guy that does a podcast and is an HP Lovecraft scholar. And so I think my buddy Sean Hode basically put me on the panel to be the comedy relief. I was the layman that they would be like, well, as you see, the Shoggoths in the the second date of the living of the 34th. And I'm like, what he means is Shoggoths have lots of eyeballs. So I was kind of the guy that like someone would be like, what is H.P. Lovecraft? And they'd be like, well, as you see, and I'd be like, he's a writer, sir. (laughs) You're like the straight man. Yeah. Like, so like, comma, I read that he is like a super racist, right? They're like, and next panel coming up. Thinking for Gen 13 comic. No, I think it would have been fantastic. Did you YouTube that? You know, I think I think they recorded it for uh, uh, Kid Monster Radio's podcast, but I haven't actually looked it up to see if he's posted it yet or not. Oh, you should look it up. I should. Look I think that, that would be a fantastic, fantastic presentation. I would love to listen to three 
super nerds that are like whatever it is, PhD in Lovecraft, and then you up there like, hey, I do I make pins. Have you seen the pins yeah. I make? Yeah, I, I, I actually is. plugged my soap is what I plugged. <laughs> <laughs> Monster Kid Radio is what the website's called. I so, just picked up a fault. So it was you. I was going to expose you. I know. So I choose to expose myself. Please, there are ladies present. Okay, so this is Chris ducking in here to let all of our listeners know that at this point we had a poorly segued conversation about John Wick, which I did not appreciate as much as Tom did. And Tom, who had been imbibing throughout the recording, got a bit surly. So that is not actually here. It would be a little bit of an editing nightmare. So instead, that podcast portion can be found on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash deeply dapper. And it's normally going to be one for our paying patrons, because we're going to start throwing our outtakes and pre-recorded stuff on there. But we figured we'd leave it for free for this to kind of get some interest on the Patreon page. So if you want to hear Tom tell me why I should like John Wick in a drunken, piratey fashion, go to Patreon and listen to it over there. And we're going to pick up towards the tail end here, where both of us are still drunkenly chitter-chattering, but at least it's sort of focused on ending the podcast episode. Thanks, everyone. And that's our conclusion for the evening. (laughs) So, what do you have to look forward to in April? Editing this podcast still. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're actually taking a vacation, which I'm looking forward to immensely. Where are you going? Uh, Well, we've got that convention in Salem, and we're going to take like three or four extra days and just go to the coast and stay in a little town in a little beach condo and I'm going to try and get some writing done may I recommend Maine no you may not (laughs) what's wrong (laughs) sore spot for you unless that's the name of the street that the condo's on in Oregon (laughs) so listeners of this show Setting aside the fact that Chris has artificially influenced the events of this podcast where he somehow engineered that I would mix tequila and rum together and he would have a light beer and possibly some coffee. Fuck you, man. So where where will our listeners be able to see us next in June? Uh, in June, I, I believe our, our first show is going to be, is it Wizard World Sacramento? It could be, yeah. I think that's, that's our next show that show. both of us are that's together. That's going to be a rad show because we're there. Yes, as always. Showing us, having donuts, talking to people. Getting and then uh, – <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> let's see here. So that's in June. Uh, we have Wizard World Sacramento from the 16th through the 18th. And then yes. we will both be at Heroes and Villains in Portland from the 24th to the 25th. So that was originally a – is that am I right? That was originally a Walking Dead con that expanded, or was it a con that bought that? Well, Heroes and Villains and Walker Stalker are owned by the same company, and like if you go to each of the websites, they both advertise it. They just advertise it with different celebrities at the front. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know exactly what the story is. 
how far how far to the front will they be advertising us? That's what I want to know. That's because a good question. You and I will be there and offering our goods and services for all the good fans. We will. Indeed. So then what's next for us? All the way to September, right? Uh, yeah, as of right now, anyway. Unless you decide to try and get into, like, Salt Lake Comic Con or something like that. I think the next one we have is the f- second week in September at Rose City Comic Con. Mm. So we have Rose City in September, and I will also be at San Francisco Comic Con in September. Oh, yeah. We should try to get another one in there in the summer, right? We should try. <laughs> If we can find one, Des Moines Comic Con. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. No. Let's let's. No. Why don't we just drive to Florida or something like that, Tom? <laughs> yep, big on magic. We can go to Wick Cards. Con 2017, Wick and I can I can hold up a sign that says Ian McShane would have been better. <laughs> and you can have a sign that says oh. Lawrence Olivier can suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead, man. He... Uh, I recently learned that slander rules do not apply, nor nor do libel rules, as long as the estate is not active at the time that you make comments. So, uh, all right. So, three to four opportunities to see us, to talk with us, to tell us. Tom, don't drink that <clears throat> the shit with the other shit. And also, Chris, drink more shit with the other shit, and it will be fine. And if you're a also, member of our Patreon which is at Patreon slash patreon.com slash deeply dapper, you will get a secret password that you what? tell us at the table to get a free gift. What? Yeah, you damn straight. They get that. a secret password. No secret passwords, man. How am I supposed to remember that? Secret passwords. I'll write it down for you. I plan to be thoroughly, I don't know, semi-affected by other chemical processes at the convention. I will not remember any any secret passwords or anything like that. Well, wait, so will they win autographs from Carrie Elways or something like that or? No, it will not be that awesome. Flask or like a sticker or like. It's not a secret special super surprise if you know what it is. <laughs> a handshake? A it super handshake? Like Maybe a Tom super will just get liquored up and rant at you for 20 minutes. Shut up, man. You're the – I've never broken furniture on this podcast and you – you son of That's a bitch. That's just because you buy higher quality furniture than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad for a March recording for an April production. Chris, I have a question. How can our uh, listeners reach you to complain about the poor standards of this podcast? <laughs> well, they can go to deeplydapper.com and click on the contact information or just straight up send me a message at deeplydapper at gmail.com deeplydapper is also my username on twitter and the instagram and the john wick hate page (laughs) where can they get a hold of you tom (laughs) well i run the golden girls bulletin board service which is amazing it's still very active three you know what tom tom thank you for being a friend (laughs) It's not right. It's not right. You can reach me at Tom at thirdraildesignlab.com and also most social media at either thirdrail.com or trdl.com. 
Yes. Yardell. You, I blame you. <laughs> Somehow. Intentionally related. So, Third Rail Design Lab. The Russians are holding on to that acronym, and it drives me nuts every time. I go check it, and they're like, 12000 bucks. Fuck you, man. <laughs> You're like, I only have ten. <laughs> I only have 10000 So, yeah, thirdraildesignlab.com for all your prints and book needs, which are plenty. Buy them. As they should be. Also... What's next on your palette for production for your conventions after your big poster? What will you do next? To be honest with you, I am not putting anything in my queue active right now. I have a couple of con sketches I need to finish for some people. And other than that, I'm just trying to kind of take it easy and not stress myself out before Cherry City. Because I got way too stressed out for Fanex. and did. We're supposed to be vacationing, and between, like, Sick Dog and, like, we have to start mowing our lawn now because it's spring. Oh, my <laughs> book's just full, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We spent, like, an hour of me, like, blubbering myself, and you just referenced that you have to mow your lawn. <laughs> I got to get out the lawn negative. tractor and take care of the, the, the back 40. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, okay. So, well, all right. Well. This has been a great podcast. I wish you were a little bit more put together, but otherwise, it's been fine. It's been fine. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. Shut up, man. My, my shelf's fine. For now. For now. So seriously, though, this is exam. This is a classic example of where we needed parody in the alcohol because my stupid my stupid mix would put me way over the top, and you're like, whatever, I'll have coffee. And I don't know if it's gonna. When you listen back, I don't know if it's gonna be funny or like terrible. <laughs> so over the top, dude. Ugh. Goodbye.